Music's beginning. It's playing in my head. Loving it. Fat beats. We're getting up to the big moment. Here it comes. Huge crescendo. Guys, go for it. On the Empire Podcast this week, we're live in Edinburgh as our part of that. I'll do it again. I fucked up, not you. <laughs> here we go again. Stop writing such complicated shit, honestly. All right, here we go. Just say live at Edinburgh and stop. All right, here we go. Music's beginning. Big crescendo. Fat beats. People loving it. And losing disco biscuits. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Crescendo. Go. <laughs> On the Empire Podcast this week, we're live in Edinburgh. Yes, indeed. Second time's the charm, everybody. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week, as part of the world's most half-assed tour of the UK, <laughs> ignoring Wales completely. <laughs> Fuck you, Birmingham. It's over, Bristol. Sorry. Uh, we're here in Edinburgh. Hooray! Oh, amazing. The capital of Scotland, I'm informed. Yes. And I thought S was the capital of Scotland. Oh, Jesus Christ, that's the level we're at. Uh, we're here this week as the guests of the Edinburgh International Magazine Festival, and you may whoop that all you like. It's a festival in Edinburgh celebrating international magazines. And if you're listening at home and you're wondering what a magazine is, it's a kind of floppy iPad, if you will. It's kind of like Twitter, but not written by Nazis. Kind of along those lines. Uh, but we're delighted to be here in Edinburgh. Uh, I was last here visiting the set of a little movie I like to call Avengers Infinity War. Oh yes, indeed. This is the place where we were first introduced to those indelible characters, Proxima Midnight and whatever the other one's called. <laughs> this is the place that the world first saw Captain America's beard. The fact that she was in the Winter Soldier and Civil War notwithstanding. And yes, this is the place we're Wanda Deep Fried Fission's Kebab. <laughs> what a time to be alive. What a place. And yes, we did visit that location today, didn't we? We did. We did. Uh, it's not a kebab shop. I felt so used and she didn't lie. Uh, anyway, we'll go back later on and kick the fucking place in. Uh, it is time now to welcome my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Yes, indeed. All three of them standing over there. First up is our geek queen, a lady who admitted on the train up here today that she's never actually had a kebab, let alone... A deep-fried one. Yes, you may boo her. Boo! How are you alive? Uh, please welcome our geek queen, author, broadcaster, but don't ask her what her books are called, Helen O'Hara! Hello. Hello, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What I'm are your books called? Um, okay, so the most recent one is definitely The Ultimate Superhero Movie Guide. Uh-huh. And the previous and the one, one, in my defense, was published under three different titles. So it's like the greatest 80s movies, maybe? Ultimate 80s movies. Ultimate 80s <laughs> movies. That's, a, oh, that's one of the titles, but it's not the title if you get the different cover. I'm not kidding. It's bizarre. Anyway, I have to say, The Greatest 80s Movies Maybe is actually a really good title for a book. Uh, and would be fair. It, it would be very, very fair. Maybe? I mean, I'm guessing. Who knows? Uh, next up is a man who is also here, which is nice, I guess. Please welcome James Dyer! (Applause) 
<laughs> and last but not least. <laughs> oh, hey, James, how are you? Hi, Good? Chris. Yes, yeah? I'm fine, thank you. Good? Great. Last but not least is the boss, not the boss, you understand, that is a trademark of Bruce Springsteen, all rights reserved, but our boss, in a very real sense, and because this is a festival dedicated to international magazines, in a very real sense, tonight, she's your boss. So just remember that, and be nice to her, lest you be summoned into a one-to-one -one meeting with her on Monday morning, only to find an HR representative standing by her side, <laughs> with a grin on her face and a bulge in her pocket. Will you please welcome, what? It's a stapler, it's a stapler. Please welcome Terry White! <laughs> Hello, Terry. Hello, Chris. It wasn't a stapler, it was my penis. <laughs> Sorry. I am so confused. Do you have one on timeshare? What's happening? I don't Okay, maybe let's I not get... I borrow yours sometimes. Good luck. <laughs> it's really small. Anyway, um, welcome all to the, uh, to the Empire podcast. Uh, I just realised, uh, impromptu realisation, didn't realise this three hours ago. Uh, that we're making something of a cameo appearance tonight, uh, which, is, which is very exciting. In fact, I would say this is probably my best cameo appearance uh, since I played a drunk British slob in Hostel Part 2, available now on DVD and Blu-ray and digital download. And I wonder, guys, have you been in anything? Have you been in any films or TV shows over the years? Because I have. I have an IMDb credit. But what about you guys? Okay, so Chris knows the answer to this because we actually talked about it earlier. Um, no, this is a prompt you. Oh, I'm so, sorry. It's uh, silly of me. Um, I was on a game show when I was a, a kid. I was on a game show called I Spy on the BBC that ran for one whole season and has been completely forgotten about. There was Gunge involved, although I didn't get Gunge, which was nice. And I won a cuddly toy lion. But the big lie of the whole program is that when you, you know, solve the mystery at the end and you, like, you know, get the get the combination to open the spy safe and it opens and there's this huge array of toys and you're like oh my god these people are so lucky they've won all of these toys we got to pick one <laughs> it was all a lie what, what did you pick? I picked a lion that kind of um, it was like when you squeezed it it was supposed to roar but it actually came out as more of a really sad groan <laughs> and, and what, what did you name it? oh I don't know James. <laughs> <laughs> Seems fair. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Harbinger of things to come. Jimbo. I've never been on a game show. I was on an early 90s sitcom called Bonjour La Classe. Has anyone heard of this? I swear to God, I'm oh, going to. I swear to God, I'm going to banshee this on tomorrow's Pilot TV podcast. I'm just because it's absolutely true. Nigel Planer, post Young Ones, was in uh, a sitcom called Bonjour La Classe, where he played a, I want to say, French teacher. A teacher, anyway, and uh, and they filmed it at my school, and so there's there's a picture of me in assembly. It kind of pans past me, and then there's unbeknownst to me, and indeed my agent, was uh, they shot me walking into one of the classrooms from behind. Saying, oh, well, well, not well, in a sexy well. way. This this feels all a little bit sorted hidden camera <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. No? I, don't, I, I, I almost it's entirely possible that this is just some weird fever dream of mine but I'm going to research this for the next Pilot TV podcast and I will talk about it in detail well once we have done a TV podcast together for over a year and I've never mentioned this and this never came up I mean that you were on the telly it's not like I was in the West Wing it's relatively <laughs> low key in fairness 
I was at the recording of the Pilot TV podcast last week uh, <laughs> with um, uh, Keith and 140-year-old friends, and Boyd, for the first time, revealed that he'd been on a TV show called Rob Brighton's Annually Retentive, a show I had actually watched all 12 episodes of and remembered his really? episode. Yeah. But you didn't see him in the, in the Christmas special episode of Gavin and Stacey? where he's no, stacking I've, underwear in Marks and Spencer. I've never seen Gavin Stacey. Well, no. he was touching underwear. Yeah. He was doing something to yeah. underwear. We don't they talk about it. It's it. awkward. Lightly touching, stroking yeah. underwear. <laughs> this is getting very, very worrying. Terry's gone, and gone hard with the penis, and now she's yeah. uh, gone, moved on to stroking. This could be an interesting night, everybody. Um, Terry, Terry, what have you been on? Uh, I've been on Nout, but shall I tell you the closest... Is, is Nout is a Northern Gang show? <laughs> <laughs> shall I tell you the closest I... Well, I wouldn't say the closest I came. I... Oh, actually... Because <laughs> this involves Jim will fix it. Oh, my oh. God! No, not like oh, that, not like that, honestly. No, so I wrote to Jim will fix it... I bet you did. ..to say... <laughs> I don't even know what that means, by the way. To say that I really wanted him to fix it for me. <laughs> to go um, running on a racetrack in Sheffield with Linford Christie. Oh. And I waited, and I remember coming home from school every day for about a year, being convinced that when I got home there was going to be a letter from Jim Fix It going, you and Linford are on, and it never happened. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> you running? <laughs> <laughs> What is it about me that looks like I'd be ridiculous running? I have literally, in all the years I've known you, never seen you out of heels. You can still run in heels. They're basically flat. (laughs) Right? Have you not seen Jurassic World? You can run in heels. (laughs) That's true. You can absolutely give it a good go. That's such a shame. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, So, all right. So, you, you... Terry, you've been in now. That's good. All right. So, thanks for that. Uh, Let's move on now. It's time to talk about this week's movie news. That's exciting, isn't it? I don't remember what it is. Can I look at the list? Yeah, of course you can. We have a list. Please bear with us while we look at the internet. <laughs> yes. Hmm, what's been happening in the world? No, I wasn't even going to look at the internet. I was just going to yeah. look at the list we made of the things that are you happening. Um, can I start by talking about Hustlers? Yes. And it had a brilliant opening weekend. 33 million opening, which for an R-rated non-franchise movie starring women by women is quite something. But what was dead interesting was this, there's a whole kind of mythology around who goes to the pictures and more so who doesn't go to the pictures and how if you make certain films, i.e., films about women by women, that you're going to limit your box office and that women don't turn out in the same way. I am delighted to tell you, especially you, Chris, um, that 67% of the audience were female. I I mean, I know demographics aren't sexy, but bear with me. Oh, demographic chat section. This is the stat section. I love it. 69%, Chris, don't make the obvious joke, over the age of... 69%? Oh, my God. 69%? Really? You made that up. No. Cross really? me up. Cross oh. me up. Right. Basically, loads of women, loads of older women, um, loads of non-white women. It was an incredible representative audience. The type of audience we're told doesn't generally turn out, which I think we all know really is bollocks, but it was brilliant to see it proven. We talked about it on the podcast last week. We all love that film and think it's amazing. So it was a delight to see it. And just to give a bit of context, it's pretty much the same as Girls Trip did, which bodes really, really well, because that was, I think, the biggest comedy um, of that year. Yeah. Live action comedy. Yeah. yeah. But what about movies for men, Terry? When are they going to make one of those? I mean, who is going to well, think about you... the middle-aged white man? That's yeah. what I want to know. Chris, do, do you know maybe that... that could be you. Yeah, they should make a movie just for me. The thing is, of course, that um, actually, technically, over 50% of film goers now are, are women in the US. 51% are women. Um, so that's, you know, 
suggestive of which way the audience is maybe going. That's been a shift over the years. So the, the model of making movies for mm. teenage boys, which was kind of that's thought always to what be the pr- primary of, yeah, yeah, that was thought to be the kind of primary yeah. audience for your big movies. That's not the case anymore. I, I think that's partly because they're widening the appeal even of those movies. So, you know, there are bits in the, uh, in the Avengers movies, for example, that are designed for women. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but Thor sometimes takes his top off. <laughs> Less, d- less of a good thing, really. Does he? Yeah. Does he? When? It's, it's been known once or twice. Well, luckily Three I've compiled times. them all together today in a slideshow. Please, <laughs> first slide. Uh, no, that's, a, that's just a thing. I forgot to put it together. I must have left it at home on my, on my computer. Anyway, don't look at it. It's all good. Um, can we talk about things that are bad? Why? Terrible, bad things that shouldn't happen. I'd like oh, to continue. I know where this is going. Yeah. Inconceivable. Right. <laughs> Terrible, <laughs> inconceivable things. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Um, we're talking about The Princess Bride. And uh, more, moreover, the, the report in uh, Hollywood Reporter this week that um, there have been discussions among high-level people about remaking The Princess Bride. Correct. Correct every single one of you who booed. You're I like mean, the, yes, you're like the old woman upon, in the dream, yeah. in Buttercup's dream. <laughs> Boo to you! You had true love! <laughs> and you threw it away for a remake! Oh Is that from The Princess Bride? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> genuinely annoyed. Um, look, I'm not, you know, I try not to be against remakes on principle. Like, sometimes they can be great. I am struggling in this case to, to maintain that equanimity, I'll be honest. And I would, what I would genuinely like, and I'm not kidding, William Goldman, in his 25th anniversary edition of the book, if you've read it, and you should because it's wonderful, even if you've seen the film already, in the book he puts in the first chapter of what he says is the sequel, and the first chap- the, the, the sequel is called Buttercup's Baby, and the first chapter of the sequel is called The Death of Fezzik. <gasps> what? And yet it's still something I want to see. Mm. Um, and I would like them to do maybe an animated version of that with the original cast as the voice cast, and I have... I would much prefer that to a remake. Please and thank you, Santa. This could be worthwhile, though, because even so that when the film opens, like Mandy Patinkin can turn up and just say, my name is Nigo Montoya, you kill my movie, prepare to die. <laughs> okay, that is the only thing I will, I will accept. And, and if you saw Carrie Elwes' tweet about the, this proposal, he said there are far too few perfect movies in this world, it would be a shame to spoil this one, which is, of course, riffing on the line of the film, which is about boobies. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> what? I mean... No, I said his reaction was perfect. No, 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 yeah. This is going to be where you say well, you don't like the Princess Bride, isn't it? I'm, I'm not the biggest fan in the world, no, but the... Can, uh, can we change the, things? Uh, sure. Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. I think, you know, it's... it's, it's, it's it, yeah, it, anyway, listen, the, the thing about it is um, that the Princess Bride will still exist. And anyway, this is just... This is surely just all hypothetical. And someone's going to dip a toe in the water and see how Twitter responded. And Twitter didn't respond very, very well. And so, therefore, clearly... This is never going to happen. Although we did come up with a version on the podcast a few weeks ago where Taika Waititi directed it, and you were suddenly bang on board. I was, I, I tried, like I said, I tried to be open to ideas, and that was a situation where we had to remake our favourite film. That was the question. Yeah, someone had a gun to her head, yeah. and we were... So that was what it took in that scenario. Okay, so. all right. Uh, Terry, where, where do you stand on The Princess Bride? <laughs> well, my concern was what if they remake it and make it, like, good because the beauty of it is that it's 
Chunky terrible and yeah. chunky. And I was like, oh my God, what if they approached it seriously and actually tried to make a half-decent film? Yeah. Um, they, have, they have now kind of clarified and said, oh, this was a hypothetical. There were these people who were trying to make it who shall be unnamed. And we are also unnamed, but it's definitely not happening. <laughs> uh, but what was incredible was in this time of great division and, um, you know, nothing unites us at the moment, right? Globally, nothing has united us like... Princess Bride. The reaction was incredible. I don't think yeah. there was anybody who said, "Oh yes, do that." Yeah, I think maybe Nigel Farage did. He was <laughs> Princess Brexit. Jimbo, you don't sound particularly up for this either way. No, it's a terrible idea. Okay, uh, good. But also, it's not going to happen, is it? It's not. No. It will never happen. I don't think we need to worry about it. Helen, in particular, I don't think needs to to stress too much. It won't happen. Thanks. Right. Thanks so, so much. Well, one remake that might be on the cards. I'm very, very excited about this. In fact, it's not even a remake. It's a sequel. I wrote remake in my notes. I don't know why I did it. just confused myself. Uh, but uh, Sly Stallone has been out this week banging the uh, old promotional drum for Rambo Last Blood. Anyone check it out today? Open today? One person? One person. Good. There you go. Interesting. Good. So he's been, going, he's been going, oh, I might make something else. I might make more sequels to my old movies. Does anyone fancy Lock Up 2? Me. Mm. Yeah, Terry does. I do as well. Donald Sutherland's greatest role. Uh, does anyone fancy Over the Top again? Me. Also Terry. Further Over the Top. Favourite Stallone yeah. film, isn't it? It is my favourite Stallone film. My first... I'm just going to tell this story and then you can continue. My first Christmas at Empire, I was trying to like win over the team. So I organised loads of beers, a screening in the office of Over the Top... I didn't realise that none of them drank and they all thought the film was shit. So in the end, <laughs> it was just me sat in front of a TV screen as the new editor with a can, Drunk. like eight, 16 <laughs> cans of Stella, because you're always going to get Stella. It was a sad <laughs> Christmas, but do continue. In, in our defence, it is a film where the dramatic climax is Sylvester Stallone changing the position of his fingers ever so slightly. Do you know how hard that is in the world, like... <laughs> arm wrestling competition to actually be able to do... I mean, you've clearly not watched that film properly. Because that's do I look like a professional arm wrestler? And also the emotional yeah. arc is about a father-son relationship, so don't get There's me started. There's also a lorry at one point, isn't there? Well, he's a long-distance lorry driver. Don't they, they give him a shiny one. That's, that's, he wins, he's doing it to yeah. win... Oh, <laughs> We'll talk about this later. Yeah. You've not paid attention to the nuances no, over the top. No. Okay. Shakespearean tragedy of it all. But that's not the film that Stallone is threatening to sequelize. Uh, the film he is threatening to sequelize is Tango and Cash. Yes. Cash and Tango. Very, very exciting. And of course, Stallone is technically, I checked, still alive. And so is Kurt Russell. So this is something that could happen. Uh, who would be excited about that? About the, the prospect of a sequel to. That's the greatest. That hand went up so fast. It's like, yes! The greatest buddy cop movie of the year it came out. Wait, didn't it come out the same year as Turner and Hooch? Oh, it's much better than Turner and Hooch. I mean. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. The dog is definitely better. Yeah, but the dog dies. Spoiler. Spoiler. Whoa. Uh oh. Uh, Quick, quick, get out of this with something else. Has anyone seen Marley and Me? Oh, shit. I don't know why I went straight to that one. Anyway, don't watch that if you don't like dead dogs. Uh, so, uh, that's exciting. I'm excited about this. Still Stallone. only 73 years old. But he looks 71, and that's important. <laughs> Kurt, he said Kurt Russell said has been the kind of... He, he said he'd do it tomorrow. Kurt Russell was like, oh, I'm not so sure. He said, we were in our prime then. We're now in our 
unprime, which I thought was a brilliant way of saying we're dead old and can't do it. <laughs> I, who, okay, here's a question for the audience. In fact, for my esteemed panellists as well, who's Tango and who's Cash? Because I've seen that film a load, but I couldn't tell you. If you put a gun to my head and my life depended on it, I couldn't tell you who plays Ray Tango and Gabe Cash, or it could be Gabe Tango and Ray Cash. <laughs> Genuinely don't know. Jimbo? Yes, Sylvester Sloan is Tango. How do you know? I very dimly recall. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really long time. This is one of those films, though, isn't it, that we talk about it quite a lot in the office. Oh, Tango and Cash is brilliant. Tango and Cash is amazing. I swear to fuck, I've seen this film once when it first came out. I have no idea if this is any good at all. Jack Palance is in it. Terrible. He's mice the... in a maze, and they yes. drive a big truck, and, and, and Kurt Russell dresses up as Stallone's sister. Because Stallone's a straight man, isn't he? And yeah. Kurt Russell's the crazy guy. He's crazy wild. He's like, he's like Martin Riggs, but slightly less racist. And it's, you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. Tango and cash. Exciting yeah. stuff. Uh, what's this business about Kiefer Sutherland remaking The Fugitive? Yeah. In very small chunks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's on, it's on, what's it, Quigley Down Under? What's the Quibi. network? <laughs> Quibi. Quibi. Quibi, the little mobile streaming service, which is the worst, most millennial thing that's ever happened to the world. Uh, so, this is... This yeah, is, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, millennial it's, is not an insult. Can we not? Sure it is. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Gen X for the win. Anyway, uh, so, so it's in, we don't know how small the chunks are, but they've said it's designed to be viewed on mobile. It's going to be small. It's going to be bite-sized. Whether it's going to be 20 seconds, whether it's going to be five minutes, I have no idea. But Kiefer Sutherland is going to be doing a kind of a, a fugitive remake thing where I mean it doesn't sound a lot like The Fugitive there's a bombing on a train and he kind of gets framed for it presumably by a one-armed train driver and then (laughs) in five minute increments so like a really shit bite-sized 24 you'll find out I guess what happened but But it does sound like 24 like it sounds more like 24 than it does The Fugitive which begs the question but he's on the run he is you might say a fugitive. What, from first class so, to economy? That's the... Uh, <laughs> is he running only on the train? It's hard to say. It's in very small bits. <laughs> <laughs> he can't get that far, is what I'm saying. All right. I, do, I, I feel like having kind of pioneered the kind of real-time TV with 24, yeah. that Donald Sutherland, or the other Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland... Oh, now I'm aboard. <laughs> ..might be trying something so, a bit crazy. What is it again, Harry? Quick, quick, what is it? Quibi. Quibi. I'm not going to remember genuinely that. genuinely how they it's, pronounce it? We don't well, know. Well, it's spelled Q-U-I-B-I, so it's either Quibi or Quibi. Well, this is the most fascinating part of the podcast, <laughs> by the way. My, my understanding is this is an uh, abbreviation of Quick Bites. So how would you say quick bites? You would go quib, 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 for the straight guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what we're going to call it. All right, so this is it. Canonically from now on, we've all agreed, it's quib, quib, All right, uh, but Keeper Sutherland wouldn't be the fugitive in this, would he? He'd no, be the guy not. chasing the fugitive. He is, yeah. And the fugitive would be played by Boyd Holbrook. Mm. Well, this is, a, this is like a, a companion show to the one that you have to watch under your duvet. What was that one called? Do, well, no, it's not a companion show to the, to the one you have to watch under your duvet. Spielberg is making yes. a horror series can which can only be viewed at yeah. night yeah. when the sun yes. goes down. Yeah. And I said, what do you do? Just stick your head under the duvet because if that was the case, you could watch it any time. And James pointed out it was something about your phone and the sun going, what was it? I mean, it has a clock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More or less what I was saying. <laughs> Which can be changed. It could. You yeah. could change be your phone's yes. clock. Yeah. You could. What happens if you feed Quibi after midnight? <laughs> Who knows? Nobody knows. Uh, or indeed cares. <laughs> uh, next up in movie news, I've got written down here, Birds of Prey poster. That's yeah. what we're reduced to in a podcast. We're yeah. talking about a poster. Has anyone, has anyone seen the poster for Birds of Prey? Good. 
And for the approximately 200 people who haven't seen it in the audience, <laughs> yeah. can someone describe this? Now, basically, this is the Birds of Prey poster. My take on it is that they've let the work experience guy loose at it and they've oh, just learned cool. how to do cutouts in Photoshop. But, I quite like it. But it, please, please explain for the people who have not seen Chris. this work of art. It has split the internet, it's fair to say. It? Yeah. It's, oh. Because it is fairly unconventional. It probably has more in common design-wise with both the Wonder Woman poster mm-hmm. of this year, Wonder Woman 1984, and also the Suicide Squad artwork. Obviously, Suicide Squad reactions were mixed. Is that the word no, we but used? the artwork. People liked the, the artwork. artwork oh, was incredible. It was just artwork. the film. But th- I think what's, what's confused a few people is there has been comments like Chris's... Um, Terribly unhelpful. But what people are uh, focusing on is obviously it's called Birds of Prey, but it's also called The Emancipation of Harley Quinn. The and obviously, emancipation. Fantabulous, which isn't a real word. And she's front and center, and, and the rest are tiny, kind of flying characters around her. And people have kind of commented that she's really front and center. What I loved about the poster is it is bold, it's really graphic, it looks really cool, looks really fun, but also it doesn't look massively sexualized. So if you actually go back and look at those Harley Quinn Suicide Squad posters, mm-hmm. it's, it's very kind of classic pose, boobs out, bum out, you know, swinging the bat, high pigtails, the whole thing. She looks super hot, but it was dead, dead sexy. This is not that at all. It mm-hmm. doesn't look like that. It looks fun. She does still look super hot. She That's looks important. super, I mean, yeah. she, like, no, crazy hot. She's Margot Robbie, yeah. right? Uh, it also looks to me like, has anybody here read Sandman, the comics? Okay, do you remember Delirium, his sister? Um, she, Delirium of the Endless, she's the personification of delir- Delirium. And she has fish kind of swimming around her head, generally, just multicolored fish, kind okay. of, and she's kind of off in her own world, and she has like three different colors of hair. That's what Harley Quinn looks like in this poster. And once you've seen that, you can't unsee it. So now I really just want to see her play Delirium. Sorry. <laughs> Interesting. So is this meant to suggest that this movie is partially taking place in a dreamscape or a fantasy world that has been constructed by one Harley Quinn, do you think? I, I just think it's meant to show that she's a bit cuckoo. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So all the characters are on there. Who knows what Birds of Prey is, by the way, in case we're, you know, we're, just, we're, not, we're not exactly preaching to the choir here. Uh, Birds of Prey is the... Latest film would be the next film, if I'm correct in thinking, from uh, DC. It's part of the DCEU, and it's obviously going to, to focus on... To the extent on, that exists anymore. To the extent yeah. that exists anymore, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's going to have Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, Ewan McGregor's on the poster, as Black Mask, you've got... Um, who else is in it? With Winstead, Rosie Perez. Really, really interesting cast as well, so... Yeah, so... Uh, it's kind of a team of um, mostly female DC anti-heroines is probably the best word for them. I like that word. All right. Anything else? What else do you guys want to talk about? Fassbender, maybe? Let's talk about Fassbender. Why not? Why not? Michael Fassbender um, is said to be in talks to star in Next Goal Wins. Has anybody seen the documentary of the same name? Yes, a couple of people nodding and hands up. So it's the story of the uh, West Samoan, I think, West Samoan football team? Western Samoan, Samoan Samoan football team, um, who were basically the worst in the world. Like, they never, ever won a match and then they lost to Australia was it 31 yeah. even worse than hearts slash hibs depending on on who you support I had yeah. to oh, couch okay. it in terms you're, you're for the playing to the room the, yeah you like, see you yeah. see but I also covered all my bases ah, so very very clever funny. well done me uh, so yeah so Western Samoa famously lost like 31 nil to Australia I think it was that I think they actually stopped counting the goals at one point though because it just was so embarrassing 
uh, after that, they decided that they maybe needed to try being a bit better at football. And they brought in a coach from Europe who'd kind of played with some of the greats. I think a Dutch coach. <laughs> like and, he, yeah, uh, he once saw Maradona in the flesh <laughs> from, from afar. No, he played at a very, very senior club level in Europe. Okay. And, and he, he did come over and, and did somewhat help them actually sort themselves up. In fairness, I mean, they were playing with no resources, you know, very little training time. They all had two or three jobs. Some of them were commuting back from the US uh, just to kind of play in these international matches. So, you know, it's not, it's not just, oh, they're shooting football. It's also they had some sort of structural disadvantages and he tried to kind of help them out with that stuff as well. So it's being remade as a, as a feature by Taika Waititi, which is a super good uh, piece of news because everything he does I think is great. And, uh, and yeah, now Michael Fassbender potentially in as the lead, which is fantastic. The football cool runnings. Yeah, it kind mm. of is. It kind of is, yeah. I'm down for that. Kind of is. The heartwarming end of the movie is they lose only 30 nil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, he jests, but only a little bit. We did it. We did it, guys. Uh, there, uh, genuinely, at one point in the documentary, it's a great documentary. If you, even if you don't like football, check it out. At one point, they score a goal in the competitive game, and they just lose their shit. <laughs> I, everybody gets a day off the next day. Yeah. It's an incredible film to watch. Uh, it's very, very excited about that one. Anything else? Uh, Sam Esmail is doing a Battlestar Galactica series. That's very mm. exciting. So this was, this was another one. So this was announced that he was doing one, and people were like, okay, so this is another reboot of the original 70s show. And everyone was just like, oh, Christ, kill us. Uh, and then Sam Esmail went on Twitter and was like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to try and do that again, because Ron D. Moore did this so fucking well. So the idea is it's going to be a separate story that takes place within the same continuity as Ron D. Moore's Battlestar Galactica. So suddenly, the whole internet turned around again, and did now they? we're all on board. Did they? No, I think we are. We're on board. I'm on board. I don't think they did. He's really good. Like, Mr. Who, Robot's who great. Who is Sam Esmail? Sam Esmail is showing for Mr. Robot. Um, uh, hang on. Season one of Mr. Robot. Well, he created it, yeah. Okay. He has since been supplanted by version two. Uh, but with Rami Malek, anyone watch that, Mr. Robot? One person. <laughs> well, no, 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 there's more. There's more. More. They're shy. It's fine. Okay, fine. It's but it's good. It's become a little bit weird but it's uh, the first season of that was by far and away the best so that also bodes well um, but yeah I'm excited to see this it's been ages obviously since Battlestar Galactica went I've been re-watching it recently so and good. it is so good I started watching it again mm. he didn't like it at first no. he watched the miniseries and was all like oh, it's not that good Starbucks a girl now I <laughs> never said that did. I did not did. I, my whole thing with this my whole thing with this was nothing to do with gender my whole thing with this was I thought oh god it's a sci-fi channel show this is going to be another one of their like because it's the reason it was a miniseries first of all and not a series was because they had loads of success with like the dune miniseries and uh well as you may want to know as much as denny villeneuve's dune will be oh my fabulous God. Uh, the dune miniseries was a bit shit it was really low budget and very long and there's you know people in there who look like fraggles it's very very bizarre and i just assumed that this would be that so when i watched this i kind of had this in mind and yes one of my great shames is that i watched the miniseries and was like eh yeah, he literally advised me not to watch it. It took me a little while to catch up. I have I told retconned him that opinion. It's yeah. fine. Mm. Anyway, it's great. Yeah. If you haven't seen the Battlestar Galactica Everyone here has seen it, haven't you? Everyone has everybody here seen it? Okay, put your hands it. up if you haven't oh seen it, please. God. See? The, sh the shame! The widespread shame. You I'm not surprised by, but everyone else. <laughs> it's genuinely great. It's on one of the streaming services. Genuinely great. You should watch it. Yes. But you should watch the original first, right? No, because it's no, Dirk Benedict. absolutely Dirk not. Dirk Benedict from the Oh, but it leads to the greatest, met well, one of the greatest meta moments in TV history, which is in the credit sequence of the A-Team, when you have Dirk Benedict being introduced and a Cylon walks past and he goes, yeah. uh? <laughs> what? 
What? Uh, he should have done that to camera. What? Quality visual gag. That would have been amazing. Um, all right. Is that it for movie news? Have we exhausted I so. ourselves? I think so. Um, I haven't even mentioned the fact that uh, Jamie Bell has joined the Without Remorse movie, uh, which is, sounds really, really cool, which is an adaptation of the Tom Clancy novel, which focuses on John Clark, who, if anyone reads the Jack Ryan novels, he's kind of um, uh, not a sidekick necessarily, but he's, yeah, he's played by, he was played by Willem Dafoe in Clear and Present Danger and Liev Schreiber in The Sum of All Fears. And this movie, which they hope is going to be the start of a franchise, he's going to be played by Michael B. Jordan. So I'm very, very excited about that. And Jamie Bell is on board as well, as indeed is Jodie Turner-Smith. Jodie Turner-Smith. That's what I'm most excited about, I have to say. She's going to be starring in um, Queen and Slim, which is out the start of next year. Looks incredible opposite Daniel Kaluuya. She's a British actress. This is her first big film, um, Queen and Slim. I think she's really special. I th- I'm really excited for her to do this. Yep, indeed. And I haven't even mentioned the Funko movie. That is in development, apparently over at Warner Brothers. Uh, and you'll be able to get Funkos soon of death, famine, war and pestilence, apparently, because that is surely a sign of the apocalypse. Uh, all right, so that is it for the movie news. And now we're going to turn our laser focus to... <laughs> What's up laughing at that? We have a laser focus. Laser. Laser focus to this week's big releases at the box office. And we're going to start with Brad Astra. Brad... Brad. Ad Astra, starring Brad Astra. Brad Pitt. Fuck. Brad Pitt in Ad Pitt. Fuck! (laughs) You know the one I'm talking about. James Gray's big sci-fi existential thing, starring Brad Pitt as an astronaut, and he has to go to get his dad. Uh, And his dad is, like, not on Earth. He's a long, long way away. Um... So it's a little bit like, oh, Brad Pitt has to save the world, which sounds a bit like Armageddon, but this ain't Armageddon, is it, Helen? That is fair to say. That's yes. fair to say. It is extremely not Armageddon. Um, yeah, this is a film I was a little bit wary about going in. I am in the like-don't-love camp for The Lost City of Zed, which really divided people. I feel like there's a, there's a certain amount of film Twitter who are more in love with that than members of their own family. <laughs> and then there's the people who went to see it and were like, what the... Just happened. I don't like. Not they went into the jungle, and then I don't understand what happened. So, um, so yeah. But this one got me very much back on board, and I don't even like films about father complexes. That's how good really? I thought this was. You haven't said really. I'm, yeah, I'm usually so more than twice or three times an episode. <laughs> but this is honestly, this one is so good. So basically, Brad Pitt has spent the last twenty odd years uh, believing his father to have died uh, on this mission out to the far reaches of the solar system. And then evidence comes to light that maybe he isn't so dead as they perhaps assumed. So he's sent to try and make contact with him um, for reasons that I feel are are a little bit of a spoiler. So this is a journey movie. Uh, He's he's going to a place where he can hopefully send a signal to hopefully get in touch with with his long-lost dad, who is played, uh, obviously, in these flashbacks and everything by Tommy Lee Jones. Um, But it's also very much... And I'm going to sound wanky now, I, I apologise. It's very much an internal journey movie. It's, it's, this is a guy who's basically built his whole life around this heroic image of his father, this heroic death that his father apparently suffered so many years before. This is a guy who is always in control. There's a, there's a bit, I think it's in the trailer, talking about how this guy's heart rate never goes above 49 or something. Same. 
Oh, no, Murray. Because um, he's A, super fit, and B, Brad Pitt, and C, super in control. So he's literally, we see him, you know, nearly dying at one point, and his heart rate's still like, yeah, this is cool, you know, totally fine. Um, but this clearly knocks him completely off kilter. And the whole film, he is basically on the edge. He's, he's a donkey on the edge for the whole rest of the story. Um, and it's, it's quite internal. You, don't, you get a little bit of voiceover, but it's otherwise all in, in Brad Pitt's expressions. And I just think he is phenomenal in this movie. I think he's better in this movie than he is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I think he's very good in that. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to say too much else about the plot. It goes to some weird places that you do not expect it to go. There oh, yeah. are space pirates, as you've probably seen in the trailer. There are some even weirder things. Um, but it's not full-on kind of crazy, you know, space baby 2001. It's a bit more grounded than that. But I just, I just find it really, really moving at the end of the day and, and incredibly, incredibly involving. I think this is an incredibly important movie and I think the main reason for that is it answers this really important question which is what would happen if Event Horizon was really fucking boring and uh, and it answers that very very well (laughs) that's already been answered by both versions of Solaris (laughs) also true so it's like it's a ship that they thought disappeared and it reappears by sort of Neptune and it's yeah no the the best take of this I saw someone wrote on the internet uh, Brad Astra is sad Astra about his dad Astra and that (laughs) That's really it for me. Um, I mean, this is the most beautifully shot film. So it's Hoyt van Hoytemer. It's, 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 I mean, some of the shots are staggering, but also what he does with colour. So the further out in the solar system they go, the more kind of uh, artificial and harsh the lighting becomes. There's a really warm glow when they're on Mars. By the time they get out to Neptune, it's this really harsh, bluish light. And it is beautiful. It's, I mean, this is literally the point of the film. But I, it's, it's very, very, very slow. Um, I it's didn't not find slow. it slow because I was so It's involved. not slow. So very slow. Oh, it was incident. And, and I get what they were trying minutes. to do. They were trying to give the feeling of physics and it's like millions of light years and so they wanted to make you feel like you were travelling millions <laughs> of light years to get to the end of the film in which nothing really happens. Oh but, my God. Uh, there is a bit with some buggies and something with a baboon but other than that there's not a lot that happens. He does do some wonderful bits where he does these sort of psychological values. He goes, yeah, I'm really really excited to uh, get on to the, uh, the next stage, stage of the mission. And, uh, oh, my God. And you're just like, oh, my God, if he can't get excited, how can I? But that's the point. He's always in control, and then he isn't. And what happens then? It's fascinating. Oh, He's yeah. amazing. I, um, it was fascinating. I hate to say it, I agree with uh, James. Yes. <laughs> Come on. Um, and I have to say, hearing Helen talk about it, I really wish I'd had that experience with the film because you just movie. made it sound fucking beautiful. <laughs> um, and it is beautiful. I mean, um, I'm probably somewhere in between, actually, because it's visually so ambitious yeah. and epic. And the vision for space and the universe and the cosmos, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. It's so rich and textured. And that's actually quite staggering. That's the thing that I found the most affecting when I went to the pictures to see it. But I tell you what, it's, the, it's exactly what you said. There are a couple of amazing, precise action set pieces that work brilliantly um, in the first kind of two-thirds, which really propel the narrative on. And then, for me, they kind of disappear completely. And there was a bit where I was like, I think my leg's gone dead. What am I going to have for my tea? And I, got to- and I totally zoned out. And I get kind of, you know, Brad Pitt is meant to be... It's about isolation it's about the kind of human condition and and mm. and loneliness and and the fact we're all fundamentally alone um 
Except maybe we're not. Cheery. Is he? Well, oh. we kind of are. Um, <laughs> and I get that, but his, he, he, for me, he. I wanted there to be a moment of real connection with emotion or something. So there was the void that I understood from a storytelling perspective at the heart of the film left a, a bit of a void for me in the film. And I left feeling quite cold about the whole thing, I have to say. Oh, you see, I, really, I, thought, I think it's so much warmer than something like Interstellar. I absolutely... I don't love Interstellar that much and I yeah. love this more. So. Can we talk about Liv Tyler, I, though? Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, that Can was we... not the film's <laughs> best. At that point, you really yeah. do wish it was Armageddon, because, yeah. like... Yeah, because she had more to do. <laughs> she had that. more to do now. Does she have a, wor- a word? No, she doesn't, she doesn't right? doesn't speak. Um, I, no, I didn't does. know she her does. name. She doesn't. No, she, she does, does speak. She what does she yeah. say? She's really quietly. She's many, telling many she go, Oh, she yeah. goes... No, no, she's... There's literally a shot where she's completely out of focus. We can't say it, but that's what she's meant to represent. I know it's a metaphor, I understand. I'm not sure... I'm not sure you do, but, but we'll draw up one a big chart for you later on. Uh, yeah, she's, she's barely in the film, but she's obviously there to represent the thing that he's lost in his life, the thing he regrets most. But it's such an... It's the movie... I mean, you know, I'm not as uh, clearly allergic to spoilers as Jimbo is, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, there are characters that are introduced in the movie and they flit in and out, but all the rest of the time we're with Brad Pitt and we're with him, focus on him as he goes through this journey and as he goes from this guy who's totally in control to a guy who maybe isn't totally in control and it's a masterful performance for me. It didn't move me as much as it moved Helen, I will say, but I was stunned by the visuals, I was stunned by the world building and I was stunned by Brad Pitt's performance. He's not bad Astra, he's great Astra in this and it makes me wonder if there might be a possibility of him being nominated for both performances this year, like the way... Uh, Sigourney Weaver was nominated yeah. for two performances yeah, in '86. Is maybe the last time that happened. I but don't think he will be. I don't I think he will do be. think he deserves to be on, yes. the, on the face of it. I, although I haven't seen most of the other contenders at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, but imagine if he won Best Actor for Ad Astra and then Best Supporting Actor yeah. for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then has Plan B got a movie that can also win Best Picture? I well, mean, this, you know, yeah, hey. absolutely. Why not? All the Oscars All the to Oscars. Brad Pitt, please. That'd be amazing. Did Deliveroo do Oscars? They should. Just have him coming around his house, beacon fire belt. That'd be incredible. Uh, so, uh, Helen and I love this. Terry and James, less so. But we as a magazine, and this is, of course, an international magazine festival, uh, we gave it four. Four of your Empire Stars. Just had to double check that. We gave it four. Uh, so, there you go. It is well worth your time. Uh, next up, we have The Kitchen. Uh, which stars Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, uh, Elizabeth Moss, Donald Gleeson. And it's a film about a group of women in New York who turn to crime. And it has the misfortune to come out a week after Hustlers, which is also a film about a group of women in New York who turn to crime. But that's a much, much better film, <laughs> has to be said. Uh, I've given it away, Jimbo. But a little is bit, this, yeah. Do you should I leave? Is this very much the Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Yes, to the Robin Hood in a scenario. Hang on. Hang on, you've got that the wrong way around. Yeah. No, um, as in, wait a second. I get confused very easy with binary things. <laughs> Put on a big chart. When I'm explaining the emotional arc of Ad Astra to you later on the big chart, yeah, okay. you explain to me how okay. I fucked this bit up. Uh, this is Andrea Berloff's directorial debut. She wrote uh, and was Oscar nominated for Straight Outta Compton. Um, and it isn't fabulous. 
Um, so it is, it's exactly that. So it's, it's, uh, it's these three women who are wives to um, men in the Irish mob. They, all three of them, go to jail. And the three of them, the men, the women don't go to jail. That would be a massive spoiler. Uh, no, the men go to jail, and the women then have to step up, and they essentially take over the Irish mob in Hell's Kitchen to try and make ends meet. It's set in like 80, 1980s. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, and, which is a really strong concept. It's based on the sort of series of Vertigo sort of comics, a short, limited comic run from Vertigo. And it's a really interesting setup, and it should have worked. It actually has three really great performances on it. Uh, uh, like Mel- Melissa McCarthy is ferocious in this. She's really, really good. Tiffany Haddish, again, is really sort of cold blooded, and, and, and uh, it's a very impressive performance from her as well. In fact, all three of them. But, but. The best way to describe this is like, imagine if Widows was a bit shit. And not to be reductive. It's a strange tagline. Isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit like that. Like, it plays as a series of uh, almost like, not quite montage, but it's very rushed. It feels like there's a lot more material in the graphic novels, and they've just skated through it all to cram it into a movie runtime. Yeah. And it's just not that interesting. And which is surprising because it feels like with the subject matter and even where it goes, it feels like you almost got to try to make it uninteresting and yet they've succeeded so well done um but you know this i said this great moments elizabeth moss in it is really interesting as a kind of battered wife who turns to the dark side and she hooks up not like in a star wars (laughs) way but that becomes a really sort of like sinister presence and she hooks up with uh with donald gleason with with general hux she turns to the dark side and hooks up with donald gleason it's an unexpected crossover to the star wars universe general hux turns up as an unlikely hitman um but yeah so i i really wanted to like this and i really thought i would like this and i didn't the only thing that i think really the biggest missed opportunity was so it's set in the house kitchen it's called the kitchen and at one point there is a snitch and there's been a setup so there was literally a rat in their kitchen what were they going to do what were you hoping for a ratatouille crossover no but there are some ub40 fans in the house and i think that's important (laughs) um i'm sure all three of them did anyone like this did either did any of you like this i didn't i didn't hate it but i'd read uh, it may have helped i read terrible reviews from its u.s release like they they hated it they were like this is the worst film of the year and it's it's not. not no it's it's okay. It's fine. But I think, I think you're right. I think it just skates through too much story in its runtime. And so characters don't have the room to breathe and really lean into the evolution. Because that's, that's the whole thing. It's what crime does to these women. Mm. So Melissa McCarthy is the sort of devoted housewife who, you know, she actually loves her husband and they're very close. And, but, and she actually comes from a mob family. Um, and so she kind of knows all the stuff, but she stays at home and looks after the kids because that's what women of her generation mm. do in this world. Um, and she then steps up and essentially becomes a big crime boss. So that's a, an evolution. Tiffany Haddish's evolution is even is even more mm. interesting, where she goes from again being in a quite unhappy marriage, being um, discriminated against as a black woman married into this Irish family, um, and uh, and then get really kind of takes control of things and really sort of starts pushing back at the people who've been pushing her. But, but again, there isn't the evolution that you want to see. It doesn't go through the steps that, to kind of earn the feelings that they're actually trying to create. She does have amazing scenes with the always awesome Margot Martindale, though, who is oh, yeah. slightly underused in this. I really wanted to see more of her. That's true. But Haddish and her are great. And then, and then like, uh, Donald Gleeson is the one who feels most like a sort of comic book character mm. in some ways. He, he feels like the sort of cool... Psych, psycho type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's, he's in a slightly different film, I think, to the rest of them. Yeah, he's... Yes, a, he's the Force a, Awakens. Yeah. He's, <laughs> a, he's a sexy psychopath in this, he isn't is, he? Yeah, he is. Uh, very sexy. Although they keep saying he's a psychopath, and then they don't really 
show him doing any psychopathic things after the initial well, thing I mean, he I does, mean, which he is psychopathic. A, yeah, he kills a bunch of people, but yeah. the, the thing is, everybody does in this world, yeah. so it's, it doesn't really stand out. Doesn't really stand out, indeed, which uh, pretty much sums up this movie, sadly. Uh, yeah, go see Hustlers. <laughs> it's a yeah. much, much better movie. This is a real disappointment. It looks really, really nice. The performances are good, but it's too fractured. It's too fragmented. And some of the character turns, Jesus Christ. Uh, there's one point, a character who, have, for the entire movie, I'm not going to spoil anything, but a character has been um, sort of saying, take this path to another character. And then at the end of the movie, completely changes they're tuning and go, yep, yeah, that's fine to kill people. Totally fine. In fact, you should kill more people. Which is advice we can all follow, I think, uh, in no, our life. Chris, no, Chris, no, 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 no. No, apparently not. Longer. Do no. not kill anyone. Kill people. Oh, no, um, Chris. Don't, don't kill anyone. Totally kill people. So, yeah. What do you give it? Two stars? Two stars. Two stars, Two stars is, then for the kitchen, mm. uh, which is uh, a real shame. And finally, that brings us to our last film this week, uh, which is The Farewell which is Lulu Wang's heartfelt tale about a young New York woman played by Aquafina who travels to China because her grandmother has been diagnosed with cancer. However, the, the Chinese tradition dictates that the family doesn't tell the person who's suffering from cancer. Uh, so she has to wrestle with this moral dilemma. Should she and should the family tell the grandmother that she has cancer? Terry. Um, so we were hearing about this. Was it Sundance this first played out? And we were hearing Correct. incredible things about Aquafina, who we all knew was, I mean, amazing on SNL, had launched herself through these YouTube videos and was so funny, just in crazy rotations, absolutely stole the show. But I think we had her pegged as a certain kind of comedic actress. You could imagine what she was going to do next. And this kind of surprised everybody. And when you see it, you can totally understand why. Because her performance in this as Billy, who you say is this um, Chinese-American writer living in New York um, who has to travel back to China. And, you know, she's spending time with her grandmother who's dying um, under the guise of this family wedding because they don't want to tell her. Um, and her performance is so controlled, tightly coiled, emotional. I mean, the way she moves in this movie is extraordinary. She has this stoop, which you just see the physical weight of what she's dealing with on her back. And actually, it, it comes off as a series of vignettes, essentially, about this family. The family, by the way, the entire crew of them are just the most warm, brilliant, funny, acerbic. Like, the, the sketch of this family is like every brilliant family you've ever known. And it's so real and so well done. And that's part of the genius of this film. Um, but it's actually it's about truth and who gets to tell the truth and who gets to hear the truth. It isn't, what I loved is it's not kind of a clumsy look at all culture conflict because in culture clashes, that's not what it is at all. But what it does is it kind of tells this incredible universal story while having real specifics about culture and nailing those cultural differences, which isn't surprising with Lulu Wang. This is based on kind of her real life experience with her grandmother. Um, I just love this film and it's, it's incredible because it's dealing with really significant things. You have these really incredible emotional moments, but you also have just these really normal moments. There's this um, scene that goes on for quite a long time at a, at a wedding and it's brilliant because you just dip in and out. There are speeches which don't really mean anything. There are big heartfelt moments loaded with significance and then nothing. Um, it's hilarious. It's touching. The beats, it flips between so easily. 
is just staggering. And she, I mean, she, they're all incredible, but Aquafina, I have to say, just yeah. what a performance, right? Mm. And it, it, is, it is so wonderful because it's basically, they're basically, I don't think this is a spoiler, they're faking the wedding. Yeah. Um, so basically one of her cousins who's been dating this woman, and they live in Japan, so he's been dating this Japanese girl for three months and they're basically pretending to get married so they have an excuse to get everybody back to say goodbye to Nai Nai, to the granny. Um, and and the, the couple just looks so miserable and so <laughs> and so sort of stressed out by the whole thing. And the and the poor Japanese girlfriend doesn't understand most of what's going on because most of it's happening in Mandarin. And it's it's just adorable. So there are those kind of farcical elements, and there's also this incredible real emotion at the same time. And like you said, just flipping between the two, just like it's like tap dancing. It's it's amazing, amazing dance. And it's not oh. a depressing film. No, it's, it's not, not sad. It's heartwarming and it's sweet. But even though it's kind of about grief and suppressed grief and different ways of dealing with grief and cultural ways of dealing with grief, but it, it's not a film that sort of mires itself in that. It's yeah. really life-affirming. It's really about family. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's lovely. And there's a lot of dumplings in it. A lot of dumplings. Oh, yeah. Do not go see it on so an empty stomach. So much food. The food looks amazing. So just, just eat first, okay? And can we just mention the fact that, seven, what, 75 80% of this film is in Mandarin? Yeah. Yep, and yep. it's subtitled. And, and you kind of don't realise until you're watching it how significant this is. This is A24, you know, it's not like Crazy Rich Asians, which was a massive studio film backed by Warner Brothers. But it's still, like, it's significant. When was the last time you saw a movie like this with stars like her entirely, almost entirely subtitled? And I think that feels really important and just also really kind of helps, I think, with the authenticity of the story that they're telling. Yep, it's absolutely tremendous. I will second all of that. Uh, this is fantastic. What did we give this film? We four. gave it four stars. Four stars, four stars. I should have written that down. Four stars then for The Farewell. Uh, and that is it for the reviews section of this podcast um, because we haven't seen Rambo Last Blood. Yeah, that's right. They didn't show it to press. That's usually a good sign, isn't it? Um, <laughs> And then we didn't have time to see it. We were on a train, and we got here, and we had to go see the Avengers Infinity War locations. That was very important. So we haven't had time to see Rambo Last Blood. I wonder if there's someone in the audience who has. <laughs> Hello, sir. Would you like to come up here and interview Rambo Last Blood for us? Absolutely. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Now, this is citizen journalism at its finest. You don't get this at, like, podcast festivals. No, this is a magazine festival exclusive. Hello, sir. How are you? Hi. How you doing? I'm good, good, good. Microphone to the lips. That's how they work. Uh, <laughs> what's your name? My name is Martin. Martin. Fantastic. Where did you see Rambo Last Blood? I saw it in Glasgow. Is that good or bad? Are we, are we okay with that? We're okay? We're happy with that. We're happy with that. I thought you guys were at war or something. I thought it was, like, a first strike situation, but that's good. Okay. Where did you see it? Where? When? Oh, Today. Okay, good, good, good. How much did you pay? Uh, well, I've got a Sunny World Unlimited card, so... All right, show uh, off. Uh, Fucking hell. <laughs> All right, okay. So, Rambo Last Blood. What's it about? Um, 80 minutes, we know, but... Okay, what's... Uh, well, I've also read the Empire Review on the... Uh... Now, you're at one up on me here, because I haven't. What have, what, what have you given it? Uh, you gave it two stars. Two we stars did. for Rambo Last Blood. That's a bit of a spoiler, but what did you think? Uh, yeah, it was, it was okay. You kind of knew what you were expecting going in. Right, uh, okay. It's, uh, it's in Mexico. That's, okay. That's what, well, he's living in Arizona. Okay. 
near near the Mexico border, I okay. believe. And uh, yeah, about, and his enemies in this film are two Mexican brothers who okay. are drug lords. Similar. They're, they're drug, he's not being racist. They're, they're, they're drug lords. He's, they're, they're bad people. Yeah. Well, the empire, it's good to establish that. Yeah, yeah. The, empire okay. of, the empire of you did make a reference to it as being some sort of Trump fantasy. Ah, the, oh, jeez, a pro-Trump yeah. fantasy? Yes. Sliced alone, what's happened to you, man? <laughs> Don't remake Tango and Cash, honestly. Uh, all right, so you, you thought it was all right? You thought, you know, the, the yeah, Rambo so movies, they're, they're about kill counts. They're about violence and all the, 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 yeah, the, the glory lot. of the glory. What did you think? Uh, yeah, it's enjoy- enjoyable enough. Um, see, it's uh, a lot of uh, unnecessary gore, but okay. as, as expected. There's no such thing, man. Did you see the, the last no, movie's uh, most violent film I've seen well, in, the big, uh, in the cinema? I hadn't seen the, the, most, the one before. Okay. All right. Mm. All right. Okay. Check it out. So, would you agree, by and large, two stars for Rambo: Last Blood? Uh, yes, but it's, uh, it's what's definitely worth seeing. I would say. Okay, so that's three stars. <laughs> three stars. <laughs> okay, three stars there for Martin, and two stars from Empire Magazine. Who knows? What? Thank Get you. For Martin, everybody. All right, time now for this week's guest. And a few years ago, we held uh, a big event down in London called Empire Live. It was at the O2. Was anyone at that? <laughs> one person. That's why we haven't held a second one. Um, there was a thi- we, did a th- we did a live read of Train Spotting, And uh, we had an incredible array of young acting talent come down and uh, take on the different roles. Now we have people like Kevin Guthrie and Fasayo Akinari, people like that. But the guy playing Renton that day blew me away. He really, really attacked the role. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to keep an eye on this young actor because I think he's going to go places. And he has over the last few years. He has gone places. He has been fantastic in the likes of Dunkirk and Mary Queen of Scots and Caliber and uh, Fighting with a Family as well. And he is here right now. Will you please welcome the fantastic, wonderful Jack Loudon! <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack. Yo. <laughs> Yo, welcome. How are you? Good, good. I'm good. I'm good. This is nuts. It's <laughs> a lot of folk in here. <laughs> there really is. Jack, do you remember that train spotting thing, that live read? I do. Yeah, I do. It was, uh, it, it was a hell of a lot of fun. I remember someone shouting stuff from the back in the bar. <laughs> it was probably you. It probably yeah. was me, yeah. Louder, faster. What's <laughs> uh, what we're feeling. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was great. It was wonderful. Um, and it was pretty nerve-wracking to read that out when it's obviously so iconic and um, something that I've quoted, you know, since I was a teenager at parties, steaming. So <laughs> it's, um, it's... No, it was an, it was an absolute honour. It was great. One of the things that really struck me about that, because I was doing the stage directions, and uh, was just how prepared you were. There was an incredible moment. Uh, there was some amazing talent in that room. Mm. But you seem to come in really super prepared and super, like, just attacking it. And really, there's a moment where you started to... It wasn't that speech. Actually, I think it was that speech, because it starts, the movie starts with that speech. Okay. They choose live speech. Uh, and you can see everyone else just kind of going, oh, fuck. We <laughs> have to act. <laughs> yeah, I should have prepared for this. Uh, so it almost felt to me that you actually did attach some importance to it as well, from that point of view. Yeah, I mean... Um I also remember I did a, uh, I did a read-through for... Um, I did War and Peace for the BBC 
which is like you know the, the everybody was in it, and the, we did a read through um, in a church hall in London somewhere, and the entire cast were there, and then then you like it always is in these things. Then you're sort of circled by like a shark circle of producers, executive producers and people that, you know, know how to spell War and Peace or something like that. Just loads and loads of people. And I was sat in between J- uh, Jim Broadbent and Paul Dano. And um, it was my first sort of semi-big thing. Um, and I was shitting myself. And, and um, there's always that moment, a read-through like that, of where everybody looks at... All the actors sort of eyeball each other, sort of going... You know, the idea is to underplay absolutely everything and not show your hand and be cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I was shit myself. I turned to Paul Dano asked... I said, so, so, sorry, Paul, do you think we should... How, how much should we give? And he, and he was like, I'm sorry, man, I'm really trying to get my mouth around the accent because he had to do RP. And then I turned to the other side, to Jim Broadbent, and I went... Jim, sorry, um, how much, what, what should we do? And he says, well, I tend to give too much, always. <laughs> and he says, and it wakes everybody up. And since, so since that, whenever I've done anything, I've always sort of, because I was terrified before that. But yeah, Jim Broadpent just overacts. If you, if <laughs> that's, but that's what he says he does. If you're going to model a career on somebody, he seems like a pretty he's not bad, choice. Eh? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's done all right. Oh man, that's that. so. Do you are read throughs a common thing? I know that seems like a like a daft thing to say, but there are some movies like Dunkirk, for example. Did that um, movie have a read through? Uh, no, it didn't have a read through. I mean, you know, like it is with those films. You, like I got offered the part, I didn't hadn't read a script, so had no idea what I was going to be asked to do. Um, we even auditioned when we auditioned like the three four times you do like with stuff that was from different films and nothing to do with Dunkirk and uh, no, no, there was no read, <laughs> no, there was no read through for that, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and albeit like a lot of what I did is just sort of, you know, staring in the distance or staring behind or <laughs> re- reacting, which is, um, which harder than it sounds, but it, uh, no, no, read through would have been impossible. Okay. What, do you remember what kind of other films he was he was giving you bits of? Was it you know oh, a matter Christ of life guy. and death or something like that? I think there was it? stuff from the is it the uh, Thin Red Line? Yeah, yeah. There was stuff from that. There was stuff from a play. I think um, uh, Law uh, Journey's End. There was all these kind of different things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So with, with something like that, like how long did it take you to put together the timeline of that film? Because I think I'm I'm still figuring <laughs> it out now. Uh, uh, I didn't put it together at all. Um, I really, really didn't. But he, 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 Chris sat us down one day and explained it to us that you know one is an hour, one is a day, and one is a week. Um, and you know, and he's 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 the best at that at sort of bending time. And um, but no, no, you, I mean, it was like I think it was a three and a half, four month shoot, and you just sort of turn up and and a spit an actual spitfire flies across your head so like there's not as much acting or preparation you know you don't need to sit in a room or a hotel room and practice how you look when you see a <laughs> spitfire when there's just a big fucking spitfire flying over <laughs> so it, they, it was a, it was a sort of joy and quite easy in certain aspects because you know he just gets what you need there's very little cgi in these films it's particularly that one mm. Um, that is an amazing shot. I saw a behind-the-scenes shot on Dunkirk of, of Chris Nolan in the water. I think with you for the scene where you're pulled right. out from by um, Mark Rylance in, in that in that movie. That's uh, right. Yeah. So he's a director who gets in there. He he he's um, 
he is quite literally a filmmaker. Like he, he has control of absolutely everything, and um, even the stuff in the cockpit that myself and Tom did, whenever we weren't actually up in the air in Spitfires, which was sick, <laughs> we were on a gimbal on the side of a cliff in California, which was just a cockpit on like a ball, and on the front of the cockpit was a huge big iron wheel, where Chris himself was moving the. So in every single every single shot in that film inside the cockpit, where I'm going like this or whatever, and Tom's going like that, it, he, we're looking at Chris Nolan, which I just think some you know, but trying to imagine a Messerschmitt or something like that. Um, but he, he he literally you know, and if uh, the, a shadow, I remember a shadow needed to pass across uh, my face of one of the 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 ME109s fly over me, and they literally Chris got like a bit of. A, a long stick with like a bit of cardboard on top and he was just stood and went right and then it goes and, and it just went over my head and it, 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 it's but by but and then and then you watch the film and it's so realistic and and, and drags you in it's just beautiful filmmaking when it's done in that sort of kind of like slightly amdram kind of way it's even more impressive it's, it reminds me of when, whenever you do as an actor you get to lucky enough to do some radio plays and there's a, like a, a props person that lives inside the radio studios who's just got like an array of like things shit that make noises and doors and all that kind of stuff huh? and I, I, I love when people can make things from very unsophisticated manners and he's a genius at that that's amazing I said earlier on that all the Oscars should go to Brad Pitt from now on, but uh, I think Why? all the Oscars, well, because he's pretty fucking good at these movies. You should see them. Check out Ad Astra, it's really good, man. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, I think uh, Oscars retrospectively to the entire cast of Dunkirk for pretending that that's a German plane and it's just Chris Nolan waving a <laughs> yeah, cardboard yeah. around going, yeah, that'll do for me. Watching your career over the last few years, there's a chameleonic edge to your acting, you know, whether it's Morrissey in England is Mine or, you know, something like Caliber or Dunkirk or Fighting With My Family where your accent is absolutely on point. Steve Merchant told me to the point where he wasn't entirely sure about your real accent in real life, you know. So is that that the thing that that appeals to you about acting, that chance to lose yourself in different characters? Well, yeah, I mean... um, I think as I've realized, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've realised that it's sort of as a young actor, you tend to think that you are not acting unless you're playing as far away from yourself as possible, and it's sort of every actor's aim to be as different and weird as you can. And there was definitely a part of that in me for ages. And before then, I realised that playing, I was just trying not to play myself because. I find that absolutely terrifying, and it's a lot more. You feel a lot more naked when you just play yourself. Mm. Um, but then I've gotten over that, and now all I want to do is work in my own accent because I'm sort of sick of doing accents. And um, you know, I know that my accent is very difficult around yeah. the world. But um, sorry, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it, um, no, I have. I've, I've, I've tried to pick things that. Um, my sort of ethos when I've been picking parts, when I've been allowed to pick parts, has been like, oh, I wonder if I could get away with doing that for me. And I, and I sort of, what I do what I do for me and like literally nobody else. It's just because it's sort of, I find it sort of slightly sadistic acting and it's, it's, it's um, I just push myself to see if I can play a wrestler from Norwich. Yeah. You know, and, and I thought, oh yeah, oh cool, yeah, that'd be good to do. <laughs> Did you learn a lot from that in terms of the like the physical stuff? Because you guys had to train a huge. Oh bit, Christ, you? we did. 
so I got the part, and then Steve said, Steve Merson said to me, um, you know, you're going to have to get bigger because the real guy is 16 stone, um, <laughs> which he is. And I was like, I, I don't know, I was working away at like 11 or 12 stone or something like that. And um, he gave me seven weeks to bulk up. And I'd never done any of that movie bulking up crap that actors do. And so I did CrossFit training twice a day for seven weeks and I ate five meals a day and it was just pain. It's just, you're just throwing up but then you have to eat it all back kind of thing. Cause what? You have like to keep scoop the <laughs> <pig> <laughs> <off>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You just, you can't, yeah, you must always be eating and all this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, but it was wonderful to then see the film and go, Christ. It, it literally took me, I think, 15 minutes to recognise it was you. Um, <laughs> like, genuinely, I was like, he's, he's very good, he's familiar, but yeah. I can't... I can't no, that's the rock, it. Helen, that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Easy mistake to make. Even, you, did you recognise me even in my stick-on snake tattoo? <laughs> that, that's what finally Right, did okay, it. yeah, yeah. I thought, disappear. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, you know, I, I'm always interested if, if actors have kind of a philosophy about taking parts and stuff but you know finding new ways to just challenge yourself and do something completely different for yourself seems like quite a, a healthy one I think in, in terms of just keeping yourself interested in, in what you're doing yeah I mean it's healthy when you're, you're allowed when you are lucky enough to get to a position where you can choose parts you know the, the, there's, it's um, a hell of a struggle to begin with or whatever but um, you know I was constantly being handed um, you know sort of young uh, prince princely looking kind of you know feckless men which um i actually developed a, a fascination with <laughs> feckless men because i think it's um I, I did something uh for the another thing for the bbc the long song which was an adaptation of andrea levy's novel um and played a plantation owner who um had basically a breakdown because he turned up as a sort of salvation to announce emancipation and then ends up realising that that's not how the world works and he still needs to turn a profit and all this kind of stuff. And he's completely useless at it. And I've quite enjoyed playing a lot of completely useless men. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a niche market, but it's good. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think it's a growing I think it's honest, growing, right? I know. I mean, it's been on the rise for quite some time, yeah. <laughs> I do that... have a script actually called Feckless Men, which you talked about <laughs> yeah. it afterwards. But is that where uh, Mary Queen of Scots or something like that comes That's out? where that yeah. comes <laughs> in, yeah. Just get the old Feckless Man out again. Um, but with a beard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was... Yeah, yeah, he was... Yeah. He was very feckless. I mean, oh, on, a, on a feckless scale, he's, he's pretty Oh, nice. he's marvellous, that, kind of, that kind of part. It's, I, I mean, I couldn't believe that that guy existed. I mean, he just... I mean, the, the, half of the things aren't in the film, what he did. He was just an absolute donkey, the bloke. <laughs> he was just the best, the best characters. Was there anything you kind of campaigned to get in there? I mean, I, I always try as hard as I can, whatever part I'm in, because I'm such a comedy whore, is that I always try and get something funny in. And there's a moment where he is banging on the door because he's heard about Mary dissing him or something, I can't remember. And um, I went for the comedy, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, let me in, and then get hit in the face by the door. <laughs> and it, but, um, I, I begged the director to keep it in, because she was like, oh, no, I don't know if that would fit. And I was like, please, can we keep it in? Because so stuff like that. <laughs> I would have laughed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're uh, you're a comedy whore. Is that uh, is that your, your true calling? So. Very much so. Yeah, I I grew up on comedy. I you know I I was terrified as a kid. Like I, I, I if I caught the end of a Midsummer Murders on ITV, I, I would like sit awake at night thinking you know fucking someone's going to come after me. So 
I, almost sort of th- therapy. <laughs> yeah, just someone with a Somerset accent. Just, <laughs> so, but as sort of therapy, I sort of grew up on, on um, BBC comedies from the 70s and 80s. Okay. And so, like, every single one of them I became obsessed with, and I still am. And, but, and so when I went to drama school or whatever, I was constantly being reprimanded for trying to make everything funny. And then I sort of, like, went so far the other way that when I first left Jammer School, I think one of my first parts was in an Ibsen where I played a young <laughs> painter that dies of a syphilitic stroke. Yeah. So I thought, feckless. I'll really go... Yeah, and he was feckless, so, <laughs> so it was great. Yeah. Did he have a beard or no beard? He did have a beard. That was the there first time go. I grew a beard. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's on your CV, can't grow a beard. <laughs> it's not on fucking my CV, I'll tell you that much. This is six months. Can you believe it? Anyway... So you want to do more comedy? You want to you know, explore that side of yourself? You know, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, my God. I, I want to do a lot more. And, but I also want it's, the fun for it is to play a part where, you know, it's comedy is absolutely not written across the part. And I, I'm <laughs> constantly just trying to put it in. I did it with, the, with Morrissey in England as mine. Is, is I just tried to put it in, like, in a physical way as much as possible. And I became very aware of where I was in the frame in that film and okay. the way that Mark shot it, a lot of long shots down corridors and stuff and the, the fact he's got this long hair and very droopy physique. Yeah. I quite enjoyed just sort of, you know, mincing across the back of the <laughs> corridor and just the timing of it. It was great fun. You, uh, you called uh, acting a few minutes ago sadistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's sadistic because, it, I mean, one of the reasons I got into it was because I was so scared as a kid and um, suddenly I found this license to do all the things that I would sit on, like, buses or on, like, trains and listen to someone annoying and think about. And I would just imagine, like, you know, punching them through the train wall or, or you know, a massive long speech at them or, you know, whatever. And I, I found that you... For, for a shy person, you suddenly got licensed to do that in front of a bunch of people. Um, so I think it is sadistic. It absolutely is. And it's, it's um, particularly sort of meth, you know, not to have a pop at them, but like method actors are always... The funny thing about method actors is, you know, they're always playing characters that are dickheads. Or <laughs> you, you never get a method actor playing like an ice cream man. <laughs> and I think that that's because they know they have license to run about being a dickhead. Yeah. So, of which I get the attraction of. Yeah. I totally am envious of it. That'd be amazing. Can you imagine Daniel Day Lewis playing an ice cream man? Yeah, That'd be yeah, fantastic. yeah. He would turn up. He'd be selling us all ninety nine. What a, <laughs> yeah. what a paradise that'd be. Is, is Tom Hanks a method actor who's been preparing his whole life to play Mister Rogers? Is that yeah, what's right. happening? Yeah, I think that's it. That must be it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, what's next for you, Jack? Uh, I got that awful thing where I say I can't say. It's you can tell boring. us. I'm a doctor. Can it's fine. you mime it for the audience? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I am doing a, uh, I'm doing a film in November and I'm doing another one in March and then I'm going to do a play. Um, but I've, what, what I'm doing right now, I just did um, Steve McQueen's last mm. project, mm. Uh, Small Acts. TV series, is that right? Yeah, it's a, the, I think it's an anthology um, which was um, amazing because he's one of my favourite directors and to, to watch that man work was out of this world. He's very calm on set, isn't he? He's very quiet, just sort of sitting there in a the corner. Oh, I was only on Widows, but that's where he, how he was then. How was he with you guys? Yeah, he was fantastic. He's, he's the best director of actors I've ever worked with and there's very few of them is the other thing that I've realised in the short career that I've had is that there's not a great 
a number of directors that can direct actors. Um, they can do everything else. You know, there's a lot of directors that are, I think, film geeks who have gotten into <laughs> directing. And but the, the 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 acting part is the sort of you know lightning in a jar kind of mercurial bit that you don't really know what to say and how um, and Steve McQueen certainly knows how to do that yeah what's the secret because what, what, you know, every, obviously every actor is different so uh, does he deal with you in a different way than he might deal with someone else in set no he, he, he completely that's I think what makes a brilliant director on film or on stage is he, he can read a room quite quickly Steve and he he's just incredibly intuitive um, and um doesn't say a lot of bullshit he just sort of can go it's amazing the amount of things that go when you go into this you know if you were a leaf falling from a sky you know and it's like i'm just walking in saying hello you know <laughs> just say you know uh, but uh it's it's oh you wouldn't believe you wouldn't believe it yeah but um and that's the thing you know you get a lot of i mean i'm way off but like you get a lot of you know people that have read about directing and have read them um, What's his name's book? Sidney Lumet's book yeah, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And one, <laughs> one, <laughs> one film that I did, which will remain nameless, and um, the director will remain nameless, and I hope I don't give anything away. Um, I, I hope you do. On a film, and um, on the first day of, of the shoot, the director came over to me and sat down. I was trying to think we were going to shoot this really tough scene, and I was sat down. And he came over and said, um, you're right, man? And I went, yeah, yeah, no, I just, just got no fucking idea what I'm going to do in this scene. And he said, um, well, <clears throat> I was reading this book last night about how to make a movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, great, yeah. I was like, great hands, I'm in great hands here. It's just don't tell people that, don't tell actors. Yeah. I would feel safer not knowing that. Yeah, yeah, just me. don't, oh, just thumbing through, like, oh, fucking I mean, By all means, read the book. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but no, it is, it's so, it is remarkable how bad directors are at directing actors. Um, but then there's also directors that are fantastic in that they hire certain actors that they know will do everything for them. And they have the grace and patience to let the actor do it if the actor works like that. And so I've worked with a lot of directors like that that are, you know, they're equally as valid. People who can just, you know, go, okay, whenever you want. Yeah, the magnificent like that. But... Um, no, I did that. I'm trying to think what else. I've been... To, oh, I've produced a film. Okay. So, I, I do producing now. Um, <laughs> I do Sorry, that. I need to reintroduce you there. <laughs> yeah. please, please welcome actor yeah, and should. producer Jack Loudon, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I would just, we'll just drop it in and no one will know. Yeah, just drop it in. Um, yeah, so I did that, So that which, which was a, another fantastic experience of trying to see what I can get away with. Um, because, I mean, I'd, as far as I knew, I didn't know anything about producing, you know. Jack, uh, were you reading the book about movie making? <laughs> yeah, before? yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually did before, before I went, because I was in the film as well, okay. which was annoying, because I, I, it would be nice to have just been there producing, whatever producing means. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was my favourite experience I've ever had on a film set for sure um, and I, I couldn't advise it more to anyone who wants to do anything in film is to get involved in film in a different way than what you want to do it just reveals so much it's just it was brilliant so have you got any, any interest yourself in acting or directing or anything like that down the line uh, acting <laughs> no <laughs> I meant writing I meant writing I'm sorry no no uh, 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you should give it a go, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been trying. And you've done very well. <laughs> but no, I, um, I, yeah, all, all I want to do is direct. That's all I want to do. And um, I love acting and I, I want to do it as long as it's interesting and to me, not to anybody else. Um, as long as it's interesting to me. Um, and, I, you know, I... I've been acting, I would say, for the past sort of four years with my eye on directing and taking jobs knowing that I'd be able to stand behind that certain director and learn something. And then, and then they go, Jack, can you go and fucking do your lines? And I go, OK. And, uh, <laughs> and then I come away. And, but, yeah, I absolutely want to do a lot more of that. Yeah. Have you got any directors on your hit list that you'd like to sort of shadow for a day? Oh, I mean, I'm going to sound like an arse, and I've, I've worked with a couple already, which is really brilliant. Um... Uh, oh, that's a big question. Uh, no, I mean, I think a few of them are dead. Okay. That is Which a is problem. Which is not great. Yeah. I do want to, I, I, I would badly, like, I would run about and, and hand everybody tea on Lynn Ramsey's set. I'd love to see how she makes one. She's I just a phenomenal filmmaker. We have a lady in the audience somewhere wearing a Lynn Ramsey t-shirt. There we go. Yes. We can make this happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can get like a Kickstarter going or something. <laughs> That'd be incredible if you just did that. Just did t- t- tea a on Kickstarter. <laughs> Lynn <Yeah>. Ramsey. <laughs> Kickstarter to get Jack Loudon yeah. to do tea on Lynn Ramsey's new movie. Oh, That'd be that. fantastic. Well, you know, I've, we've got to let you go, but uh, I wish you all the best. What, what is the movie that you produced for this? People can keep so an eye out for film, it. It's called Corvidae. Okay. Um, and it's uh, myself, Fiona Shaw, who's remarkable and remarkable in it, and a young actress that I worked with before called Tamara Lawrence, um, and it's a first-time film director from London called Joel Marcantonio. He did a short called Red Light with Jesse Buckley, which was brilliant, and Mark McCann, who was in Calibre. Um, and, yeah, we shot it for six, seven weeks, uh, and it's a very cool... People aren't making those films anymore. It's a very sort of cool, psychological, suff- psychologically suffocating drama um, about... Uh, pregnancy and about motherhood um, and it's uh, it's cool film and literally editing it right now I just was down in London in the edit which was cool just sat there shouting why why the fuck is that in there uh, uh, yeah. that should be in there yeah. Yeah. this tea's too cold get that <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, out yeah, yeah. but no it was it was wonderful and, and so we're hoping to get that uh, picture locked very soon and then stick it out to festivals and I think it could be something quite cool amazing well wish you all the best with that and uh, and and with doing comedy more comedy because I can see you and this is you know as a a sort of as a Frank Spencer I can see you doing the full Michael Crawford stunts and all it's all I've ever wanted to do when people ask me like what what parts do you think you want to play that you've not played and I've I've always wanted to play someone shorter than me (laughs) because All right, Del Boy, yeah, a good. But that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. That was because of Del Boy, because that, because I have a lot of friends that are taller than me, and I've worked, I've realised that, is that I, I love feeling like the little guy who's like trying to make everything happen. But I'm six foot one, and that, <laughs> you just sort of look like, you know, you look like Tony Adams from fucking, you know, coaching Arsenal players about. You don't, you don't really look like anything. But I've got a lot of tall friends, and I've always, I just think that. You know, I think that it would just change your perspective <laughs> so much more, and I just you, the, the 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 options for what you could do. I think it would just be brilliant, and nobody's done it yet. Uh, <laughs> probably someone has done it. Did Nick Frost do it in a 
Oh, you, he played, a Huntsman he played, film. Yeah, yeah. He played, yeah, played, yeah a bunch of people played yeah. dwarves in They that. played the dwarves. They and there's little Chris Evans. But I don't mean that. I don't mean like go. I, I don't mean like that drastic a change yeah. in a person. I just mean like a foot shorter. Right. That's pretty yeah, drastic. Chris pretty Evans dr- in the first Captain America movie. Oh, did yeah. he? Yeah, oh, right. they had a body double and then they you know, had to stitch them together. All oh, right. But you're actually talking about, you know, these method actors who lose weight. You're talking about losing height. Losing height. <laughs> That's good. I think we tricky. need to change it up. Can, can we not find out what Russell Crowe and Tom Cruise do and do the opposite? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, to yeah. Just make you look short. Well, yeah, just standing high. on a box and then standing in a standing thing. In, yeah. in, a bo- in, a tr- in a trench. They could standing dig a trench. trench. Yeah. And you could walk in the trench. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Or, Genius. Or, how about this? You're a Del Boy, brilliant. all right? Only Fools and Horses movie. Good stuff. Peter Crouch. Oh, is my Rodney. God. <laughs> mm. Merchant. Merchant! Holy shit! Fuck, you should pitch All right. It. Okay, we're doing another Kickstarter. <laughs> and it's for an Only Fools and Horses movie. Yeah. Jack Loudon is Della Boy and Stephen Merchant is Rodney. Rodney. And I think we can announce it officially tonight. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing we can announce. He would love that. He would love that. <laughs> All right, oh call God. him now. Call him now. Let's make this happen. This Let's is a GoPro. <laughs> and on that bombshell, will you please give it up? Incredible once again. Jack Loudon, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Now it is time for the audience Q&A bit. If you have any questions that you would like to ask the Empire Podcast team, now's your chance. Now is your chance. Don't be shy. Put your hands up. And here's the thing. We only have four microphones, so I'm going to be the roving mic guy for this bit as well. I'm going to come around and see. Um, In fact, if you all have questions, let's all line up here. If you have questions, because quite frankly, I'm not walking that much. So... Come on down here, and then we can, we can make this work. Okay, here we go. First question. First question. This is like a Comic-Con style thing, all right? See, three people. It's got to be more than that. Four people. There's John coming. Hi, there's six. Hi, there's six. All right, here we go. Okay, so hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am very good. Also, this is excellent small talk. <laughs> uh, this is excellent small talk. Okay. Uh, what's your question? Um, you're not allowed to say Avengers Infinity War. Too late. Because it's cheating. Uh, Favourite film set in Edinburgh? That's a very good question. Thank Christ I googled this this morning. But, <laughs> guys, have at it. Oh, Trainspotting. Oh, oh you oh, didn't say that. that. Shallow Grave, or was that in Glasgow? Shit. <laughs> Hurrah. You're fucked. <laughs> Can I say the bits of Braveheart that weren't Shine Island? <laughs> That was pre-Edinburgh, right? That was like years and years and years ago. Uh, train spotting. That sounds a little bit like a QI klaxon thing for me, you know? So right. I'm going to say T2 train spotting. That would be, that would be my answer. Or filth. I like filth. Mm. Quick, filth name more good. films set in Edinburgh before Jimbo can answer, because he's screwed. Yeah, no, I, I have no idea. One day. Say one day. One day? One day. Yes. Say the prime of Miss Jean Brody. <laughs> with Miss Jean Brody. There you go. Well Yay. done, everybody. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers. Round of applause, everybody. <laughs> Hello, man. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, my question to the team is this. Uh, if yep. you have to nominate from this year one film that is the Emperor's New Clothes, the most pretentious film you've seen this year, I mean, personally, I would go for the Suspiria remake, but I'm not trying to influence you. Uh, which film would you nominate as the Emperor's New Clothes Film of the Year? I feel like a lot of people saw the Suspiria film and thought it was naked, though. So, like, I don't yeah. feel like, yeah. you know... The... Also, I think technically last year. 
But I'll, I'll allow it because yeah. it's bollocks. Yeah, like, recent, then. recent. Yeah. Recent. Well, in that case, sir, I would have to say the Suspiria remake. <laughs> <laughs> On account of it being the biggest pile of shit. <laughs> I mean, it starts off, I said this in the podcast before, but it starts off with the title card saying uh, a, a, a story of something, something, something uh, with, featuring a prologue and six acts. Six acts. Shakespeare only did five? You're not one better than Shakespeare, mates. So there you go. Anyway, yes, please. I'm, I'm going to choose to interpret recent as being several years old, and I'm going to go with Fishfucker, because oh, that fucking film the shape of water. is dreadful. Oh, no. Right. Boo. Boo. Who is applauding who that? Do you agree with James? Oh, my Good. God. You found your people at last. Here, have an even Unbelievable. Sure I can. This is a Guillermo-friendly podcast. That's disgraceful. You can't bribe people to agree with you, James. I mean, Come on. History speaks otherwise, but sure. <laughs> I'm, complete, I'm completely blanking, I'm sorry, on every single pretentious film I've ever seen. Ad Astra, sure. for example. Hey. Ad Astra is great. I like Ad Astra. There's many I don't like, but I, I love that one. So this is going to be desperately unpopular... And I only mean this... This only applies to massive chunks of the film. But, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but not all of it. Um, I'm going to say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> Thank you, the women who applauded with me. Um, there, were, there were parts of it... I mean, it, it's, it's Tarantino, but there were parts of it that were incredibly... Um, what's the word? Self-indulgent and uh, overblown and... Uh, uh, there was a great deal of love for it, which I didn't mirror, but I respected parts of it. I'm sorry, I still don't have an answer. Apologies. Um, so, but yes, everybody else answered it to your satisfaction, I hope. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello. Next. What's your name? Hello, Scott. My question is, if Terry made you all excommunicado and you had an hour to escape before <laughs> all, all the film journalists tried to kill you, what would be your first move? Oh, I mean, Terry, right, if Terry made us excommunicado, well, first of all, James would do quite well, because James, <laughs> believe it or not, looking at him, knows martial arts. This is, this is, see, this is also partly because I genuinely have a zombie apocalypse bag at home. So, so and I, I genuinely wish I was joking, but there is, I do have a bag at home which has basic survival gear and a kind of machete thing in it. <laughs> So that when the zombie apocalypse comes, I will live and you, sorry, will all die. And, and that's, that's fine. But the, what's funny about this particular question is, like, it sounds really, really funny, except it's painfully close to a scenario that I can genuinely see unfolding. You have been excommunicado I mean, more than once. I do feel that I've been on the run several times with a dog and have been re-embraced mm-hmm. by the high table. Um, but, yeah. you know, it, it, was, it was touching over a while. Well, okay, so my tactic is I'm already wearing a silk shirt because I thought it'd be fancy and dress up, which, as we all know, is what the Mongols wore when their hordes swept across northern Europe. As because, we all know. Because when, you get, when, when people shoot you with arrows, the, the silk catches the arrowheads and you can pull them out more easily, you see? So I'm already ahead of the curve. I don't need then silk, I not mithril. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not saying I've got it all figured out. I'm just saying I've got one I'm not sure step. physics works that way. It's not physics, it's the other thing, biology. Um, Don't question me, I'm an expert. And then uh, all I need to do is find a corridor full of knives 
and started throwing them desperately. And I think I'll be fine. I think it should be fine. Oh, I, God. Yeah, I, I, would, I would go somewhere where they were doing some kind of all-night expanse marathon on the assumption that Terry would just I never go say, there. I would not come yeah, exactly. to you. Yeah, exactly. You'd never think to go there. I would leave you there to yeah, die. Yeah, exactly. I, so I she'd never find you. Yeah. I like see, it. That's see, good. That's good. That could work. Thank you very much. Hopefully answered. All right. And what is your name? Joy. And what's your question? What is the biggest thing you've done for your fandom? So I just got a 3000 tattoo with a heart in it for oh. I love you 3000. Oh. So what's the biggest thing like merchandise going somewhere what's the most effort you've done for what you're a fan of? Wow. Ooh. I mean That's a good question. I don't think it counts because I was like four but I went on set of the Empire oh, Strikes God. Back. So oh, I mean I've kind of been dining out on that for most of my adult life so uh, How did you wangle that in there? That's I, not even relevant to the question. I'm, you know, I like to drop it wherever possible. <laughs> Mine's not film, but um, uh, Pulp um, are my favourite band of all time. And they were doing a uh, reunion gig in Sheffield uh, when I lived in New York. And so I got a plane back after work on a Friday night into London, drove up to Rotherham, where I was staying in a hotel with blood on the walls because it was the only one left in the vicinity, (laughs) and went to see Pulp and uh, got the flight back to New York the next day and was back at my desk a few hours later. You're you're wondering what's happened where I'm talking about blood on the wall in Rotherham. Well, that's your standard in Rotherham, (laughs) isn't it? That's where you start. Um, What happened? What was the question? The biggest thing you've done for your fandom. Not your personal fandom, but for fandom generally. For a thing that you love. The biggest thing that I've done. I mean, it's really, really dull, but I I broke into Kevin Feige's house. (laughs) and lived inside the walls of his house for about four years. And I, was, I would whisper plot developments I wanted to see in the MCU through the walls in a way that would make him think that he'd come up with them. Uh, things like, right yeah. That. yeah, like, there should be a bit where there's an actor pretending to be the Mandarin. That'd be really good. And initially, he'd be like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, but you know, gradually he got on board with it and he was pretty, pretty happy. That would be the biggest thing I have done for my fandom. We yeah. also queued for like five hours outside the press oh, screening of Avengers nothing. Endgame. And I walked out of an interview with Russell T. Davis to come and queue with you. That's pretty and big. And said actually. to Russell T. Davis, I'm sitting down to start the interview with Boyd Hilton, also on the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, and Jesus I said, Russell Christ. and Russell Tovey, it was both Russells, I sat there and the interview was about to start. And I was like, guys, I'd really love to sit here and do the interview. But frankly, we're late starting and I have to start queuing for Avengers Endgame because I need a good seat. And I'll see you later. And I walked out of the room and they just stared at me gobstruck that I was so wildly unprofessional. Gobstruck? Yeah. And I did it. Gobstruck, So, so, yes. so they made up a new word. I did. That's amazing. They so were then, gobstruck. In fairness, there's, just... there's a couple of extra points to add to that, which was that Russell T. Davies was at that screening. Yes, and just before the film started, I went, Russell, Russell! My seat's better than yours. <laughs> true story. It is a true story. I was there, I yes. honestly don't think I've done anything but uh, that's that mad, apart from arriving somewhere really early to, to queue and living within someone's walls. I don't think that's... That's all I've done. So, right, okay, Fiona. My question was, um, in terms of like, genre movies coming out that maybe haven't been done for a while, tends to lead to other genre movies of the same genre, you know, sort of follow on, you know, catching the bug and kind of riding with it. I was wondering about La La Land. It kind of came out, was a kind of grown-up musical, 
and then nothing else seems to have happened. So, like, you've got your Mary Poppins sequel, but that's a kid's film. Like, there's no kind of... That hasn't taken... Nobody else has taken on that gauntlet. You have reminded me of the answer to the Emperor's New Clothes question, which is La La Land. Um, that was that was my reason for asking. Not a fan. <laughs> Boo! Yay! No, that's um, fair enough. Yeah, no, I I am actually. I, I know what you mean. I would I would say that I think we're in this weird period where I think there is a bit more room for people to kind of play with genre and try some new things um, if they can do it for a small enough budget. Because quite frankly, there's only really really big budgets if you've got a very very proven idea. But I am I, I feel like there's going to be some people working on some slightly more growing up musicals. You know, there is Hamilton chat going on. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda's a bit resistant until it's had a bit more time to breathe, but there, that chat is continuing. And I think he, single-handedly, has actually kind of gotten a, a lot more things kind of into discussion. So obviously Into the Heights is happening, West Side Story is happening, and those are both quite growing up as well. So I think there's a little bit of a renaissance that way. I think stuff like Dear Evan Hansen, which is coming to London later this year, is also a possible candidate for things like that in the future. So we might see more of that, certainly from Broadway adaptations. Whether we see more original musicals, that's, again, that's a little bit tougher. But you have those people like Pasek and Paul, like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, there is this kind of new generation of slightly cooler, maybe, Broadway playwrights. Um, and also, you know, the old giants like Mencken, who are still around and writing amazing stuff. So I do think there is potential for more of that specific genre. Yes. There's also a musical the episode, the, the finale of Transparent. Does anyone watch Transparent? Someone down here? The, the last episode of that is a musical, which is very exciting, which we'll be reviewing on the next episode of the Pilot TV oh, podcast. Oh, so it's, uh, it's very handy. I, I think mean, people know it exists now. <laughs> it's, um, it's I think done. Buffy and Supernatural did it already. And Buffy so. did it the best. Well, um, Supernatural was I just said, I think La La Land was an anomaly. Like Helen said, I think it had been 26 seven years or something since there'd been an original musical. And actually, the one that was being produced first was The Greatest Showman. Um, and they kind of... And it was a coincidence that they were both being worked on at the same time. La La Land ended up coming out um, earlier. Then you kind of had Rocket Man, which was obviously R-rated and something completely completely different. And I think people thought with both La La Land and Greatest, Mus- greatest Musical, definitely wasn't The Greatest Musical, The Greatest Showman coming out within quick succession, this was kind of the rebirth of the original musical. And I, I don't think that's the case. And both of those films had these incredible Tony-winning, um, who had actually come from Broadway, songwriters. And I think all original musicals live and die by those amazing original songs. Um, and I think there are actually very few people in the world like those guys who can actually produce that level of song within a movie. Uh, thanks very much, Fiona. Thank you very much indeed. Hi, Lance. How are you, sir? Thank you for the sweets. What's your question, sir? I was watching Brad Astro yesterday, and I saw the scene where Brad is looking at a video message of Liv Tyler, and it reminded me of Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing... <laughs> And with Will Smith dropping the ball recently on Suicide Squad and probably Gemini Man, do summer blockbusters need to bring back the write the theme tune, sing the theme tune? And I know this is giving a Chris an opening for a certain Colby Band oh. musical oh, number as well. No. Do we need to go? Back I would. To I would never do that. Do we need to go back to original songs? In, in is what you're saying? Time, yeah. Well, the Sophie and Stevens song at the end of Call Me by Your Name yeah. is an original song, right? You wrote that for the movie. Yeah. This it's is a great. Just idea. not as good as Call Me by Your Name. Call me. Call me, call me by your name, oh yeah. 
Sorry, I'd like, I'd like to apologise to, to all of you and to music. Oh. Can I just say, someone on Twitter requested that today, so I'm now doing requests, apparently, so there you go. But yeah, I, I, I would love to see more original songs and movies. Yeah. Damn it, yeah, absolutely. Kenny Loggins sings Tenet. <laughs> make it happen. Don't make it happen. Um, but no, I, I actually, I love a cheesy ballad, and I, I would do any of those 90s ones in karaoke at the drop of a hat. So I'm, yeah, I'm all for bringing them back as well, 100%. Mm. Yep. Thanks, Dallas. We're on board. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Let's go over here so people can see us. There we go. Uh, hello, sir. Hi, my name's George, and my question is, with uh, 2019 and the 2010s in general almost over, off the top of your head, what's your favourite film of the decade? Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Ooh. Off the top of your head. <laughs> oh, do you know oh, what? No. Off the top of my head, the answer is maybe not what you expect. Or may, although some of you might. And it's Hunt for the Wilder People. Really? Oh. Yeah. Freaking love it. And, and then in second place, like most of the MCU. <laughs> Are you literally I'm, looking it up I'm, on no, your I'm phone? checking dates. I'm checking dates. Oh, yes. Go on. Uh, no, I don't... The MCU one's tricky. I mean, Infinity War is definitely up there for me. Weird, I'd say Inception, actually. Inception would be my choice. Now, are you saying, because you said, okay, so here's the thing. Are you including the since 2000 onwards? No. Uh, no. Right. Since 2010. Yeah. So it's, All right, it's, so it's Inception skating. is 2009, yeah. so it's not just skating. It's was it 2010? Yeah, it's 2010? All right, I'll so allow it. I, I will allow it. I thought it was 2009. <laughs> no, it's 2010. I'm I wasn't sure which shit. one it was, which Unbelievable. is why I checked. All right, okay. Yeah. Oh. That's how I always uh, gauge where films come <laughs> yes. out as well. So thank yes. you for that. I believe same summer Madden as Toy Story thing. 3. I stand very much corrected. Uh, all right, okay, Inception. Uh, Moonlight. Oh, good oh, answer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's no Inception, but sure. sure. No Inception. <laughs> it's no harm for the wilder people, mm-hmm. but sure. <laughs> uh, oh, God, this is a really tricky question. Damn you. Um, I don't know, Mad Max Fury Road is an incredible, oh, yeah. incredible movie. Uh, whoa, is this technically speaking? Yes, I think it is. I'm going back. You can tell me, but uh, <laughs> the raid, I think, is yeah. 2011. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, so, 2011. I'm allowed that one. That was amazing. Otherwise, I don't know, guys. I have to say, it was a toss-up for me between Iron Man 2, Captain America: The First Avenger, Thor: Avengers Assemble, Iron Man 3, Thor: The Dark World, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America: Winter Soldier, uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, Ant Man. Um, what's the next one after that? Shit, I'm really struggling. <laughs> You're doing so well. Ant Man is 2015. I can get this. I can get this. Right, 2015. Then we're into 2016 with Captain America Civil, Civil War. War. Then we have Doctor Strange. Then we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, obviously. Then Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor, Ragnarok, uh, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Actually, that is my favourite. Ant-Man and the Wasp. There you go. That's, that's the best one out of the last 10 Get years. Out. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Cheers, man. Hello, sir. Come on here. Hi. Um, my name is James. And quick follow-up to the... Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you're here, which is nice, I guess. I mean, you're the one on stage, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you uh, do have more hair. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's not a controversial statement. It's not, it's true. <laughs> Carry on. Um, forgotten my question now. No, I haven't. That was the plan. <laughs> you said it was a follow-on. Um, my question was, um, I've noticed this year, but also like the past couple of years, there have been some really high-profile flops. Like, this year, um, like, the biggest one I can think of is the new Godzilla movie. 
probably lost a lot of money, especially because it was being advertised everywhere. Um, and then a couple of years ago, Justice League, that fared really badly as well. But then also, not just like the rubbish or the so-so stuff, like Blade Runner 2049 mm. flopped really badly. And then this year, Missing Link, which I absolutely loved, Leica's new film, that also lost a lot of money. So I'm, I'm just curious, thinking, what are your thoughts on like, why do you think some films have really different range of films? Why do you think some of them are faring so badly? It's a really complicated question, actually. Um, so I, I, I think there is a danger at the moment in the, in the movie business and how polarised it is between very small budgets and very, very big budgets mm. because you only need two or three very big budget films to flop and you have a massive problem as a studio. And, and it is a very high-risk, high-reward strategy that a lot of studios, I think, are currently struggling with. So it's a real issue because I think a lot of people are... I think a lot of people, like, just life is quite difficult and scary at the moment. And I think if you're watching the news and if you're engaged in the world, things are bad. I think if you're just struggling at your job and in a zero-hours contract and, you know, haven't had a pay rise in six years because you work for the NHS, things are bad. Like, there's loads of bad stuff going on. Thanks, Helen. I'm just saying... (laughs) So movies are an escape, but at the same time they have to really kind of earn that and give you that, and you have to be pretty sure if you're going to fork out for a ticket that you're going to get that. And I think people are a little bit risk-averse because they want to know that their money is going to, be, is going to result in that two hours of escape. And, and I think there's a, there's a feeling of wariness sometimes from, from, from viewers about kind of weird, different films that they don't have an obvious hook and even something like Blade Runner it's like lots and lots of people know what that a Blade Runner is a film that exists um, outside of film fans I don't know how many people like love it I don't feel like it's mm. it's not warm and cozy and cuddly is it like it's not you know Downton Abbey is it um, <laughs> and no, I feel really like isn't. I feel like it might it might just have been a victim of you know, if you're going to go to the cinema, you want escapism mm. and not another dystopia. Um, and, you know, so, so that's a particular example. But, yeah, I mean, even, even something like Godzilla, I'm not sure it's cathartic right now to watch a giant monster trample, trample cities because it feels like that every day anyway. So, you know, um, so I feel like we, we want superheroes and we want, you know, saviors maybe a little mm. bit. And I, I feel like that might be why there's this kind of disparity in, in some of the films. That's only a tiny part, though, of, of the answer, which is nobody knows anything mm. in Hollywood. Well, I mean, S- Solo knows. lost money. Like, who yeah. would have predicted a Star Wars film would lose money? And yet, here we are. But, I, mean, I mean, there were a lot, a lot of factors went into that. They had to reshoot a lot of it, which cost a lot of money. It came six months after The Last Jedi, which was quite polarising. You know, there are environmental yeah, And also, nobody there. really needed it. I mean, <laughs> absolutely nobody needed that film. Yes, that's another small issue. But still, it's a Star Wars film that lost money. You know, that's a sign of the apocalypse. Um, isn't it also that I think the bar has been raised, especially in genre movies, so I think when you look at the MCU output, is it really surprising that people felt massively disappointed by BVS, for example, and weren't Release going... the Snyder Cut! And weren't going for... Don't start on Helen. And, and weren't prepared to go for a second viewing, which is honestly what props up a lot of big box offices repeat viewing over and over again, word of mouth. I mean, look at something like Dark Phoenix, for example, I think when it's, when it's a new film within an existing franchise that doesn't kind of really propel it on or evolve it in a really significant way, I think to Helen's point, you're going, it's 15 quid to go and see this at the pictures, is it going to be worth that amount of money? And I think if there's any doubt, people are 
these days more willing to not mm. take that risk. And I, but I think, look at the numbers that Endgame did, right? And people are always quick to go, oh, you know, that makes so much money. What about the rest of the films? I find that really exciting because the, the fact that so many people are going to see that film on opening weekend, probably the weekend after, and it's, it speaks to the exceptional quality and people are getting what they pay for. And I think there's more kind of a sense of, of a demand. We want it to be this level. We want it to be this excellent. And if we think it might not be, we're not going to give you our cash. Well, that's cat screwed then. <laughs> <laughs> we win. That film's going to make a billion dollars probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, we man. Wanted we wanted adult musicals, I have, people. Yeah, well... Mm. Uh, that's a furry musical, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, I have a bet on someone. Is it Chris Lupton, our uh, creative director? He thinks it's going to make a billion dollars. I don't think it is. I think it's going to make $999,999. It's going to be fucking huge, cats. Anyway, hello, sir. Hello. Mike, you're tall. Yes. Were you listening to the Jack Loudon thing? Because I'm seeing double act. <laughs> Potentially, if he's up for it. Okay. We'll have to get him back, but uh, I think he's going to be about two miles away from now. That'll be all right. We'll get him back. All right. Uh, my name's Chris, and my question is, if I know, if you had to recast Quint, Brody, and Hooper in Jaws with three oh. actors who are working today, who would you choose and why? And if you want as well, who would you choose to direct them? Oh. All right. Oh. God! Brody? Brody? Steven Spielberg. Brody is Denzel Washington, and I will accept no arguments in this whatsoever. <laughs> Denzel Washington is Chief Brody. Okay. Hooper is Seth Rogen. <laughs> is that just because he has a beard? And a laugh. He goes, ha, 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 shark. Ha, 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 ha. Be amazing. And Quint Tilda Swinton. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> Boom, dude. Uh, place the mic gently on the ground. <laughs> uh, and to direct me... <laughs> Perhaps I don't know. Go oh, you beat that. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. He can't direct a shark film. What's no, the evidence? But hear me out. This time he could do it on time and on budget because he was so frustrated with himself going yeah, but, over on the. But on hear, the me out, hear me out. Hear me. Out, hear me out. Hear, hear me, me out. Hear me out. Uh, there's so many happy accidents that happened on Jaws because the fucking shark didn't work. Yeah. The Indianapolis speech doesn't happen if Steven Spielberg shooting it on a volume. Or shooting it in a controlled tank where you can control all the environment, all, all the situation. The, the same thing on, on Raiders of the Lost Ark. If they're not shooting on location and Harrison Ford doesn't get the shits, the, the, one of the greatest yeah, yeah. moments in cinema history doesn't happen. And that's what okay. worries me but about... If you're, if, you're de- if you're relying on the shark deliberately not working when you have the choice of it now working given you know, modern technology, are you genuinely saying that Jaws should be directed by someone incapable of using that technology properly so that you would still have these happy accidents? Yes, I said... I would direct it. Okay. I'm clearly incapable. It's a long history of evidence here that yeah, I'm incapable true. of no, directing No one's going to argue with you on that. But okay. that's the thing. Unless, of course, you had people on a volume and then you just had to start it, you know, making it look like an accident, obviously, but giving your actors the shits. That's just a little bit, just a little drop into their food every now and again and then just in the hope that a really good scene results. That's my idea anyway. Um, I think, I think we should have... Brody would be Jessica Chastain, and hear me out, supported me by up. Idris Elba and Kevin Costner in an adaptation directed and written no. by Aaron Sorkin, and it would be a four-star masterpiece. James has just described a three-star film called Molly's Game. Oh, oh, oh. 
the, the, you know, the shark would talk in this one. <laughs> he wouldn't say anything. Anyone else? Is there, is there, you can't beat what I just said. It's, no, it's, it's the best. It's the best casting That's combo. Fine. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because <laughs> I think one day they'll get around to it. They'll do it. And Denzel's right there, people. He's right there, as is Tilda. And Seth Rogen, you know, if he's not available, we'll just get Josh Gad. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. Two more questions. Two more questions. Hello, sir. Hi, I'm Alan. And I'm just wondering what was the Liverpool score on Tuesday? Oh! Oh! Sorry, let me it's just check who the current champions of Europe are. Oh, wait, there was Liverpool Football Club. Uh, was that it? Is that literally what you did? Oh, um, I'm just wondering, um, what review... Have, have any of you ever given a glowing review for a film which... Wait a minute, sit the fuck down. It's a troll. What film have you given a glowing review to, which in hindsight you think is, you're a bit embarrassed about because, in retrospect, it's a bit of a stinker of a film? Or, or Helen, this is a the reverse, question, obviously, is fine too. Chris, why don't you start? Yeah. No, why don't I start? I don't know. Never happens? No, probably not. Nothing happens. springs to mind, guys. No. Mm. Nothing springs to mind because there's no evidence of it. Ha ha ha. Apart from all about 150,000 copies of Vampire Magazine, but I've been having them systematically destroyed over the last few years. Uh, so, in case people don't know, I gave Attack of the Clones five stars. A month after I started Empire Rose at a house party in East London, it was like three in the morning, somebody cornered me just to shout at me about Chris's Attack of the Clones review. It seems entirely. Why are you? I mean, that's, you know. I don't know, because you know, I'm now seemingly responsible for you, like yeah, you're my give, child. Know, give them my number. They can call me up at three in the morning. Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough I got it from my mum, but you as well! Uh, yeah, no, not, my, not my finest hour, but, you know, I guess you know, I've always said I was young and I needed to work. So, <laughs> it is what it is, and we all make mistakes. Anyone else got any real stinkers in their closet? I don't know that it's a stinker, because I haven't gone back and watched it. But I was definitely out of step with critical opinion when I gave Lions for Lambs four stars. But I remember it being really good. And I particularly remember the scenes with uh, Robert Redford and Andrew Garfield being really good. And that was essentially what sold it for me. And, but it has vanished into complete obscurity, mm, I, which suggests to me that it might actually be a three at most. I agree with you, absolutely, Helen. The bit in Lions for Lambs that stood out for me, because I, I like it as well, is the bit where Yoda has a fucking lightsaber, guys. <laughs> I don't know if any of you noticed that. I mean, never mind how bad the rest of the film is, how obviously bad the rest of the film is, but Yoda had a fucking lightsaber. Uh, do you remember, Terry, a couple of years ago, we were, told, we were building up to um, a big Star Wars release. It was one every five months or so, and uh, I actually proposed an oral history of that review because I'm not the only one who's culpable. Oh, no, there are many people at fault for that review. George Lucas, who made it. Uh, uh, who else? Like Mark Dinning, who approved it. Colin Kennedy, who was the editor at the time. Mark Dinning, in fact, who came over to me when I was about to put the, uh, the final dots, the, I believe the call full stops, on my review. Four stars, four stars, which I'd agreed with the review editor, uh, Alan Morrison at the time. And, uh, and Dinning came over to me and went, this is the second live podcast in a row in which I've done a Mark Dinning impression. He goes... This is spot on, by the way. If you've never met him, this is spot on. He goes, oh, Hewitt, Yoda's got a lightsaber. You've got to give it five stars. And I was like, ooh, he makes a salient argument. Uh, an extra five stars, please. That's nine stars in total. That's how good that was. Can I just make it clear that the current reviews process is much more rigorous and professional? 
Is it though? <laughs> I, I believe it was under your watch that I was allowed to give passengers four stars and call it Titanic Amongst the Stars. Yeah, why? Which the studio used on every fucking piece of marketing material for like a month. And it will be on my tombstone. I, I did carefully let you do it because I knew we could use it to take the piss out of you for the next 15 years. And also that, that quote would be all over every The Metro literally had a full page ad with just that fucking quote on the page. It's just like, and your oh, actual you know, name. God. Jimbo, you could have just called it It's Attack of the Clones in Spain. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, still here. That film on the basis of your review. I'm so, so sorry. That's like five pounds I'll never get We back. will refund you. Please direct all complaints to Terry White at three in the morning at a party. Uh, all right, thank you very much indeed. And the last question of this live podcast goes to... Abel. And what is your question? Do you think there's an underrepresentation of Celtic accents in UK films? An underrepresentation of Celtic accents in UK films. Yes, <laughs> there is. There we go. Um, I think it's I think it's getting a bit better. Not least because Screen Scotland is doing really really good work and getting films to shoot up here and using Scottish talent in them. Um, but I I do think that traditionally, especially I think the problem is Americans don't understand what the UK is. And in fairness, a lot of people in the UK don't understand <laughs> what the UK is, particularly recently. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, but like, Sorry, uh, the full name of the country that you live in is Johnson. the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. If you don't have Northern Ireland in it, you don't actually technically have the UK and your Olympics team literally has the wrong name. But, um, but it, it, it is this Celtic fringe that's been kind of ignored because um, Americans who fund movies think that British means Downton Abbey. Um, and, and they genuinely think that any accent that doesn't sound like that is a bit weird and they don't understand where it comes from. And they have literally, there have been reports of, you know, I think train spotting, but certainly the commitments, which I know is mm-hmm. Irish, yep. but um, being subtitled in American cinemas. Mm. Parts so, of this podcast will be subtitled, by the way. <laughs> so they do have problems with any accent that isn't the sort of, the, you know, James's. Um, Hello. Oh, 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 Mater, Mater, what is for tea later on? <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, so, so I think, it, I think it's, a, it's a particular ignorance on the part of the big American studios. And I do think it's a, breaking down a little bit because they do love particularly Scottish accents. Nobody loves a Northern Irish one, let's be honest, but they love Scottish what accents. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit harsh, so it does. Um, but they Got love Scottish on. accents, and, and they'll even love a Welsh accent now and again if it isn't too strong. So there, there, is a, there is, I think, just sheer talent in acting, I think, is helping break through. That's interesting, actually, because I don't think that we've heard, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but I don't think we've heard, say, Taron Edgerton no, in his own accent yet. No, I don't think we have. Yeah. But, uh, you know, growing up, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a Celt myself, uh, it, it's tremendous when you see people like, you know, Sean Connery and, uh, you know, uh, and that's it, pretty much, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Big Liam, obviously, uh, with his... Uh, well, there's an accent. There's, there's no doubt about it. And nowadays, you know, it's good to see that uh, Jerry Butler is committing to <laughs> retaining his accent no matter what the role. I think it's... A, I'm an American submarine commander. <laughs> you know, like, are you? <laughs> cool. Yeah, 
went backpacking in Glasgow for a long time when I was 17. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that. It was great see, hearing people who sounded like me uh, when I was growing up. And, uh, and, and Sean Connery, my God, what a legend. So I, you know, it would be great to see that happen more and more uh, in, in film these days. Is that it? Is that it? There we go. Thank you. All right, okay. And on that bombshell, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, brought to you by the Edinburgh International Magazine Festival. Uh, join it, yes, indeed. It's going to feel a bit like the uh, end of question time in here, because next week we will be in York. I don't want to come all over David Dimbleby. I'm overall David Dimbleby. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I just want to say a huge thanks to our incredible guest, Jack Loudon. Uh, a huge thank you to Laura Dunlop and the entire team at the Edinburgh International Magazine Festival for inviting us up here. Making this happen. Uh, thank you to the incredible team here at the cameos, so the likes of Martin, Kelly, Stuart, Scott, and if I don't say your name, it's because I've forgotten it. Um, but please applaud them; they're amazing. Thank you, of course, to you guys. This, <laughs> oh Christ, I keep repeating myself. It genuinely blows our minds that not only have you come out for a live podcast, but you've done so in Edinburgh. Uh, so thank you, because if we had done this for an empty room, it would have been really, really embarrassing. Uh, so thank you so much for coming here and showing your support as well. Thank you. And it's thank you and goodbye from Helen O'Hara. It's thank you and goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. It's thank you and goodbye from Terry White. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to deep fry my cupcake. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.